get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. leads off and sends one deep left field that is way back and she is gone Willie Adamas gets a run right back second homer of the day for the Brew Crew it was one pitch I was a ground ball away from getting out of that so right just part of it leadoff man on quite a bit only got the leadoff man one time fell behind in one one counts it just uh makes it easier to get hit I'm not sure he was one ground ball away from getting out of that one. He pulled the Houdini act a couple of times. He couldn't do it one more. Alongside Kerry Davis, the Super Bowl champion, Hazel, the pride of Hazelwood Central. I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Man, Dakota Hudson is an enigma. <laughs> I, when he's pitching well, it looks great. He gets through seven, eight innings, and he's only thrown like 85 pitches, and you leave the day, you're like, man, never felt like he was in trouble. Yeah. And when he's pitching poorly, it really goes like poorly. The wheels fall off. It's not, it's not something that you you don't expect it because if, it, if, it, if he plays well or pitches well on good days, you don't know when the bad day is going to happen, and you just kind of— But you know it's out there. You know it's just waiting you, on the horizon so is it, at some is it point. more that you're surprised— when he pitches bad, or you, you're more surprised when he pitches well? I think at this point, I've reached when he pitches well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the funny thing is, man, like, it the results have been good for much of the season until the last couple of starts. The process hasn't been great, really, at any point this year. They've been getting better, and then we got back to this point where he's pitching slowly. Like, it takes forever to throw a pitch. And then half of the time, it's in there for a ball. Yesterday, the weird thing is the ball strike count was more in his favor than it had been previously, mm-hmm. but he still walked three guys in four innings. You give well, that's up. never a recipe for success. Not great. <laughs> three walks, seven hits over four innings. Yeah, that's not going to end well for you, Dakota. And I wanted Kerry to, have, to play some of this audio for okay. you. Okay. Because what I found even more interesting yesterday than Dakota Hudson's performance on the mound was his performance after the game in the press conference setting with the media. All right. So here's what he had to say about what went wrong for both him and the Cardinals in that loss. Really wasn't all that bad until a couple poorly timed homers. And then that's what cost us the lead. We just never got it back. <laughs> okay. Well, I, 
All poorly right. timed homers are are exactly what he said. They're poorly timed. I don't think you there's I don't are there's I don't, a I don't well think there's homer ever, I, don't say, I don't know if there's ever a great timed homer. I don't know as a pitcher. I don't think that there's a time where you want to give up a home run to the opposing batter. I guess if you're up like 12-1, maybe it doesn't I, hurt quite even, as bad. Even then though, I, unless you're like Albert pitching in, a, in your first <laughs> game ever and you give up a, a, a shot, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. But if you're an actual pitcher. I don't know that you want to give those up at any point of time in, in in professional baseball. I'm gonna go ahead and like disagree a little bit with Dakota Hudson, yeah. by the way. I don't think it was going all that well for him <laughs> at any point. He had 16 batted balls against him over the course of four innings, which is to be expected. He pitches to contact, whatever. Eight of them were hard hit. Okay. Half of the balls that were hit against him were of the hard hit variety. That ain't what you want. It, that 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 would be a a matter of location where you're placing the ball as opposed Absolutely. to. Absolutely, he's yeah, not getting the ball down. You want the ground down. balls, yeah. Yeah, you're soft not, you, contact. You're leaving it up in the zone, and you're allowing people to hit the ball hard in different places. And and when you do that, you have those ill timed home runs. Absolutely. <laughs> so you've got that part of it. You also have three walks in fewer than five innings, which means, again, going to the location. Not only are you up in the zone, but you're missing the zone entirely too often. Yeah, that was not an unlucky performance. He's had some of those in the past where it's like, oh, pitch pretty well. You just got unlucky. You live with the results. This was not one of those. And then when I heard this, so this is a combination of. Dakota Hudson was asked about his pace, which has been an issue all year long. He wor- he works so slowly, mm-hmm. Kerry, where it's like, c- can we just throw the ball? <laughs> just don't walk around the mound again. Don't pick up the rosin bag. Just catch the ball, get into your routine and throw it. Yeah. And Ollie Marmol has even spoken publicly about this. So here is Dakota Hudson when he's asked about his pacing. And then Ollie Marmol, this is a talking about the exact same performance by the same pitcher in the same game and the pacing issue. In terms of pacing, were you working as quickly as you have recently? Yeah, I felt like I was. Well, he had a lot of traffic. Did you see his pace slow down again yeah. today? Yeah, pace is slower. He so, says, so, I was working at the same pace. Maybe, His manager says, yeah, that was slow. Maybe maybe those two things are tied together. When he pitches poorly, maybe the timing is slower because he's thinking more. And as a professional athlete, the more you think about it, the worse you're going to perform. I, I If you don't think, oftentimes coaches tell you, don't think. That sounds like the craziest thing in the world. Don't think. Don't think. I got to think. I got to <laughs> think to play. No, don't think. React. Just play the game the way you know how to play it. You see this with rookies all the time, right? Where the game slows down for them. But when you start to to think about the next pitch or the the last pitch or, oh, who's coming up? Who's on deck? And what do I have to do? Now your pace begins to become slower. And now you're thinking and now you're throwing balls up in the zone, out of the zone. You're walking, guys. You're not having the success that you – expect or that we expect from you because you're thinking too much as opposed to just reacting and playing. What I find fascinating about Dakota Hudson as well is when he's pitching with pace, he's having the success, but he still wants to go slow. And, and, and that's what I don't understand with Dakota maybe Hudson. maybe that's his comfort zone, but, but he doesn't. Oh, maybe, can we not have that be the comfort yeah. zone anymore? Can we, can we adjust the comfort for zone? For our own viewing pleasure, if not for his success. Like I, It is... And probably everybody else out there waiting <sighs> on the pitches. I mean, teammates like Bro, come on. I I don't say this lightly. It's miserable sometimes to watch him pitch. And I feel the same way about Giovanni Gallegos. Giovanni Gallegos is a really good pitcher, and he is super successful, and I'm glad he is a Cardinal. Yeah. 
but God, is it tough to watch him sometimes. <laughs> it is like the human rain delay, and that's that's what it's like watching Dakota Hudson. And you mentioned with his teammates as well. It's That is why yeah. Ollie wanted him to start using the pitch con because it makes him work faster mm-hmm. as opposed to going to the signs every time. It's why he's telling him, hey, pick your pace up. Right. Your defense can be more engaged right. when they're not waiting 40 seconds between every single pitch. You get right. a 10-pitch at-bat. Man, we're talking about three and a half minutes right, that have right. taken place between when you started that at bat and when the ball is actually put into right. play. And as a guy that's utilizing your defense, you just need those guys to be engaged behind you. So that was an issue for him last night. The walks were an issue for him. It was it was all pretty bad. And somehow, some way, he still, was not the worst. Yeah, I was gonna say he still had a chance. And he was not their <laughs> worst issue. Drew Furhagen, we gotta have a talk. Because it's just not working for him. Every time I watch Drew Verhagen, I'm sure you've played with some of these guys, Carrie, where you look at it and you're like, you see him at a combine. You're like, yeah. holy hell, that yeah. guy is fast. He is big. He is strong on paper. Right. He looks like the he perfect, is the perfect, the perfect player. Athlete. Yeah. That's Drew Verhagen. Yeah. He's six seven. He's put together. His stuff looks as good as anybody you'll see in baseball. And even when I'm watching him in a game, sometimes you see him break off a curveball or you see the velocity. You're like, okay, this is going to work. And then you see the guy hit it and it goes 430 right. feet in the other direction. You're like, wait, I don't understand what just happened. I can't totally explain it, but Drew Verhagen, it's not working for him. So after the game last night, by the way, Verhagen now has a 6.3 ERA. Yesterday, he threw 14 pitches. Only three of them were strikes. It's fine. It's fine. It was, it was, it was. So he got to a 3-0 count to McCutcheon. I think McCutcheon, he got a strike, and then McCutcheon got a single. Then 4-0 uh, uh, to the next batter. And then he, it, it just, it just kind of spiraled. That Like, you weren't even really close to the strike zone. And and if you're not giving yourself a chance, like you can't be afraid of the opponent, of the batter that you're facing. You don't want to throw it down the middle, but give it put put it close enough to where he even thinks he has to swing. And, yeah. and it was give yourself a seven, chance. eight, ten pitches where the batter just kept the bat on the shoulder. Like it's no need for me to even attempt to Why swing would at I? this. And that when you when you're walking batters, you're putting your especially the leadoff batter. You you, you walk uh, leadoff batter got a single, but the second batter you you're putting people on base without having to work for it. You're gonna struggle. And yesterday was it was it was a struggle watching that. And, and you were still you were cl- you, you you were in that game to to. I was listening to the to the broadcast and they were saying oh. oh Ali is thinking about who he's going to bring up in the ninth inning. And, oh, well, now he's got another issue to worry about because Verhagen went out there and, and kind of yeah. didn't get the job done. And now you got another issue, to another fire to put out before you can get to the fire to try to put some runs up to, to tie the game or win the game. I want to go back to your experience as an athlete. Draw on that for a second. Imagine you're Drew Verhagen. Mm-hmm. And after the game, you hear this comment from your coach who's talking about you. This includes the question from Katie Wu, because I wanted there to be this pause that you hear at the beginning <laughs> okay. of Ollie Marmel's answer. Here's Ollie, Oliver Marmel yesterday when asked about Drew Verhagen's performance. What do you think he needs to do to, to turn the ship around? Because obviously he's, this team signed him with the expectation that he's going to play a big role here. Drew has really good stuff. To your point, we need to see consistency with it and uh, embrace competition tough league and you have to embrace the moments when we need you to get three guys out without letting a run come in um his stuff plays really well it's a matter of using it the right way and uh 
you can't just rely on your stuff at this level. You got to develop it, and you got to be able to understand what your opposition wants to do against you and combat that. So we got some growing to do. When you hear he needs to embrace competition, what does that tell you as an athlete? I I would need to get my you know what together, and sooner rather than later. Because this is a, a performance-based business. Professional sports are. You, 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 you're paid and your, your play is based on how well you perform. It's not how much, how much people like you, you know, how, how nice of a guy you are. It's about your performance. And if you don't perform at a high level, you're going to struggle. And you're going to struggle to stay at that level or, or continue to get the time, whether it be on the football field, on the court on the mound, in the field, wherever you are, you're going to struggle to continue to get those times. I will say this that I, I loved about uh, Ali's comment because as a coach, I, I listened to it from my, my player hat and, and my coach hat. He gave him a sandwich. As a, as a coach, you give him a sandwich. <laughs> it, it starts with a compliment. His stuff is really good. Then you give him what you want to tell him about himself, and then you s- close the sandwich with another compliment. His stuff is really good. He gave him another layer about the competing and all of that, but for the most, as a coach, as a manager, I, I love that because you you did it the way you were supposed to because if you're a player, you're kind of like, well, he said I had good stuff. Uh, he said I'm not competing, but he said I got good stuff. So as a player, it's kind of psychological, but as a coach, he did that very well. I would give him a round BT of BT calls that the crap sandwich. Yeah, right? that's you, what you it just is. put the crap right, right in the middle. middle. You've got you the give bread him the compliments on the top, on the top and the bottom. <laughs> and, and, but the point of it is is right there in the middle. The part you have to eat is there for that's you to digest. That's right? you. You got to take it. It it is tough to watch him pitch right now. It's been tough, honestly, all year long to, to watch him pitch. And I don't know how much longer the grace period is. Like, I know he got a two-year deal. It's not crazy money. They gave him, I think it's $2.5 million this year, 2 and a half yeah. next year. It, if they are willing to make the move with Corey Dickerson at some point this year, they should also be willing to make the move at some point this year with Drew Verhagen as well. And at, there's going to come a point in time where they say, we are making our major league roster worse by continuing to have him as a part of it. If things don't change, if he gets it turned around, great, because the stuff plays, as you just right. heard there from Molly Marmel. But eventually he's got to start throwing strikes. He's got to be able to get out more regularly. And right now he's not doing any of that. Well, I think that goes to the to the competing part. Like, when you are throwing balls and not putting the ball near the strike zone, that to me and that to a manager signifies that you are not competing because either you're afraid of, of what will happen if you put the ball near the strike zone or you're just timid and, and want to kind of play the edges, play the corners and not really give yourself an opportunity to to, to put the ball in play or give them an opportunity to put the ball in play. Trust what you have. Trust who you are. Trust everything that, that got you to this point and don't overthink it. Like, it's all about the game is more mental than people will give uh, give it credit for because if you have the – you just said he, he he's the guy you look at and say, whoo, yeah. I want him. Sign him up. I don't know what he does, but sign him <laughs> up. I want him right there. If you have all of those physical attributes, the mental part is what – what you need most or more than anything else to be able to compete and be able to play at the highest level. He's Kerry Davis, Super Bowl champion. Thrilled to have him in with us from 11 to 2 today. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're talking a little NBA. We don't do it a ton here on the show, but last night was the draft. There were a couple of things that stood out to me, including Stephen A. You're going to want to hear this. He lost his damn mind about what the Knicks did last night, and I think it was justified. We'll talk about that coming up at 1130. Tim Dillard is a former Brewer pitcher he's now on the pre and post game show for the brewers broadcast team he's going to join us next to recap what we just saw in a series between really the only two teams trying to compete in this division tim dillard next here on 101 espn 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the former Brewers pitcher. Now you can see him on Brewers pre and post games. He's Tim Diller joining us here on the show. Tim, we appreciate the time, man. I feel like the the Cardinals and the Brewers uh, just can't seem to get away from one another. They started out this series tied for first in the division, and they remained there afterwards. What was your biggest impression from this four game set? I mean, they were, they're just two equally matched teams and you didn't know who was going to win either game uh, throughout every single game, uh, probably in this entire series. They're just exciting teams to watch. And honestly, that's what you want from baseball, right? Two exciting teams playing exciting baseball. I was looking at um, uh, Devin Williams, a guy from St. Louis came in younger guy. Well, well, younger in in, in years in the league. What are your thoughts on him? And and what do you think uh, how he'll help this team help your team going forward? Well, they really could have used him last year down the stretch in the playoffs. He, uh, I guess, got angry after a game and ended up breaking his hand, yeah. which, I mean, let's be honest, we've all been there at some capacity. <laughs> uh, yes, we have. <laughs> but, but, you know, that the impact was immediately felt, and he bounced back this year, and he's arguably even better than he was last year. This kid he continues to get better, and he, what really is amazing is how he just – sets up the game for Josh Hader. Josh Hader's probably the best reliever in all of baseball. Devin Williams would easily be a closer for 29 other teams. That's how good he is. Uh, and for the Brewers to have both of these guys, it's dangerous. All you got to do is get them through the sixth or seventh inning, and the Brewers will lock it down. Tim, as you look at what he's developed this year, I mean, he's always had that changeup, and we've all known about that. But now the fastball is maybe even arguably his most successful pitch so far this season. What has that allowed for him in terms of having now the two-pitch mix uh, instead of just having the, the changeup as his out pitch? Sure. Well, he's already, you know, he's had both pitches the whole time. The thing is, when you have such a good changeup, if you come in and throw a first-pitch fastball, the guy hits a double off the wall, your first thought is, I should have thrown this guy my best pitch, which is a changeup. So he comes in, he starts throwing changeups, guys swing and miss over and over and over again. So why is there a reason to throw anything else? But the problem lies, well, eventually guys make adjustment across the big leagues and they start getting better swings at the changeup and you realize you haven't thrown your fastball in weeks and months. You know, you haven't really gone out there and executed like you should. What we're finding in the last, I believe, 17 innings he has 17 scoreless innings going on right now, and it's because he started spotting up the fastball. It was strictly like fastball control. But I will say this. There's a thing I call, I don't know if I coined the phrase, but called the Trevor Hoffman effect, right? When everyone in the world knows you have the best changeup in the game, what's your best pitch? Suddenly it's a fastball, right? So sometimes he doesn't even need to throw it. He can just throw the fastball and get away with it. Tim, we were talking earlier about Dakota Hudson and his pace on the mound. Being a former pitcher, can you can you kind of speak to if you're pitching a little bit slower or not moving and, and your pace starts to slow down, what, what's going on in a pitcher's mind and what are they thinking about? I don't know. Get on the mound. Throw the pitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> no I, well, they do teach you in the minor leagues as you're coming up, uh, when, when things get amped up, when you get guys on base, there's traffic, or especially for relievers, they teach you just to 
just to kind of sit in it a little bit. Don't try to go through, you know, make the hitter impatient, Hmm. right? You see a lot of lefties do this probably more than anything else. They just kind of stand around. They're not forced to get on the rubber and that creates urgency in a hitter's mind. So I think that's what he does when he gets into traffic. I think he, I think Dakota Hudson, which is an awesome name, sounds like a rancher from a Western movie. Uh, Fits his playing style and personality, yeah. too, Tim. <laughs> 100% guys do that. And, and that's part of just the pace of slowing the situation down. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it worked for him. Well, well, does that could that have an impact on you as a pitcher though? Like when you, once you start slowing the pace down, and you does that get you out of rhythm or, or your normal routine as a, a routine as a pitcher? It can, it can. Uh, I like to work really quick, mm-hmm. um, and I know there's guys across the league, but it, it's kind of a generational thing. You know, there's a they have the pitch clock going on in the minor league. So, uh, and I've talked to a scout buddy of mine just yesterday. He was talking about how phenomenal the pitch clock is because it takes away from these guys that just stand around trying to manipulate. You know, they get them on the mound, and more stuff happens. There's a ground ball. There's a double play. There's a pop fly. There's a double like. The action has picked up because the pace has picked up, um, which, you know, could arguably be good for the hitter, but it could also be good for the pitcher as well. We're talking to Tim uh, Tim Dillard, former Brewers pitcher. Now you can find him on the Brewers pre- and post-game show. Uh, Tim, leaving this series, I, I am curious. You get to see the Brewers regularly, more so than certainly we do here in St. Louis. What's your overall impression of the team? Of course, we know about the great front end of the rotation when they're fully healthy and the back end of the bullpen, but where, where do you view the Brewers right now relative to the rest of the National League? Wow, yeah. Uh, well, the Brewers are 32-9 and nine when they score four runs or more. Pretty good. So that's, just, that's pretty good. It just shows how good their starting staff is and how good their bullpen is. So I guess if you're talking about one thing they could fix, it would be offense, but lately they've been scoring a lot of runs, uh, which is dangerous around the league. But I, I think they should have been at 40 wins about a week ago. They just ran into a really tough spot. They went 2-11 and 11 through 13 games, not playing their best baseball. But what came out of it um, was a team that got hot at the right time, and that's what it took to beat the Cardinals 2 out of 4 because, let's be honest, the, the Cardinals are stacked. That lineup is, is just stacked. How do you, as an opposing view, because we see it every day, and so, Tim, I like some of our listeners probably hear you say that, and they're like, yeah, it's stacked, but then they're inconsistent. They'll score hmm. two runs one day and then 12 the next and then zero in the third. What is your perspective of this Cardinals lineup as a former pitcher? Uh, I wouldn't want to face it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I retired when I see Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado. Like, you just can't go through both of them. You just can't. One of them's going to walk or one of them's going to hit a double. They're literally that good. And sure, you want to talk about streaky, but a lot of times it's just you're running into a team that has good pitching. Uh, that's kind of what started out with the Brewers slump a couple weeks ago was just the fact that they're facing Joe Musgrove, right? Like they're just facing Chris Bassett, guys that are just going out there and having, you know, eight innings of just shut, you, you know, shut everything down baseball. There's no action whatsoever. You can't even get an extra base hit. And sometimes the Cardinals are going to face those type of guys. But for the most part, my goodness, uh, look at what Gorman did the other day. <laughs> I mean, just spraying the ball all over the field at such a young age and learning from some of these amazing hitters they have. Albert Pujols swung at a ball above his eyes to get a sacrifice fly, to get an RBI in. So now you have that, that veteran influence teaching guys how to ha- you know situational hit. They're sacrifice bunting. That kind of stuff is not seen everywhere in the league, but the Cardinals have it. 
Tim, I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the division as a whole. I mean, we, we got two teams above 500 and everybody else is, is in the basement. What do you think is going on with those with the division as, as, as a whole? Well, I, I think everybody was surprised by the Reds. The Reds had a pretty good little little thing going with uh, the second baseman over there, India, and the, and the catcher, Stevenson. So they thought they were going to build around that, but then they just uh, unloaded all their pitchers. You know, the, all the pitchers were gone. So it was like, whoop, count them out. <laughs> but the, the Pirates, to me, are, are a pretty good team. They just can't put it all together. Uh, we saw them a couple times early in the season, and they, they had some good players. Uh, I think they're underperforming. Uh, but I think before the season started, go to Vegas. I'm sure Vegas is like, hey, yeah, it's going to be Brewers Cardinals <laughs> in, in the NL Central. I think everyone knew that. I think, you know, even if you don't keep up with baseball, you, the two teams that are buzzwords across baseball in the last however many years, probably you know, three or four years, has been the Brewers and the Cardinals. But uh, don't sleep on the Cubs. They'll, they always rise to the occasion when they're playing the Brewers or the Cardinals. Tim, who's the best team that you've seen so far this year? Maybe it's a game that you were broadcasting for the Brewers or just a team that while you're at home, you're, you're watching them and you say to yourself, man, that, that team's good. And I'm talking about in the National League. I think in, in the American League, everybody would probably say the Yankees. Yeah, you got to say the Yankees over in the <laughs> AL. Uh, National League, man, I the, the Padres have the best defense in baseball. Um, it, it's just they take away hit after hit. If there's a man on first and you hit a ball on the ground, they turn it into a double play. Like, that's intimidating, especially when you look at their starting rotation of Musgrove and you, Darvish. Um, I mean, whoever, the Clevenger, they got just such a good starting staff. So they're, they're a really tough team to beat. They're similar to the Brewers. They're not going to score a gazillion runs, but they're not going to give up hardly any because of that pitching staff and defense. Uh, but I got to say the Mets. My goodness, the Mets are doing what they're doing without having DeGrom. Um, or Scherzer is is nothing short of phenomenal, and and the the, the situational hitting that the Mets put on, um, willing to take hits to the right side, you know, hitting against the shift. I think you're going to see that across baseball, and the Mets are on the ground floor. You know, they see the shift, and you know, you want to win a game, hit it where no one's standing, and this team's doing that. So I think you kind of have to credit uh, Buck Showalter for sitting there going, let's get back to basics and just win ball games, and that's what the Mets have done. It's a very un-Mets-like team. Guys like Mark Hanna, Eduardo Escobar, and what Jeff mm-hmm. McNeil has done this year, they they do all of the little things right, and it's kind of paying off in a big way right now. Hey, Tim, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We wish you all the best whenever the Brewers aren't playing against the Cardinals, and hopefully yeah. we'll talk with you again soon. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That's Tim Dillard, former Brewers pitcher, now on Brewers pre- and post-game shows. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Dim, D-I-M Tillard. So switch up. Uh, switch the D in the T in his name. Dim Tillard is his name on Twitter. Alongside Kerry Davis, the Super Bowl champion, and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll do some Ask Us Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you've got any questions for Kerry Davis, get him in on the text line now. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, there were three main takeaways from last night's NBA draft, including what happened to the big man in the NBA. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With the first pick in the 2022 NBA draft, the Orlando Magic select Paolo Bancaro from Duke University. Well, that was a surprise to basically everybody, including 
Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted earlier in the day that he was expecting Jabari Smith to be the number one overall pick. If you looked over on any of the sports books, they yeah. all had Jabari Smith going number one overall and ends up being Paolo Bancaro, who was a really good player and I thought was the best player in the draft. I liked the move, but if you were a betting man and you wanted to go over to the FanDuel Sportsbook, for example, you could have got him at 10 to 1 at the beginning right. of the day yesterday. Dang it. Bet 100 bucks, you win 1,000 by betting on him. I wish him. somebody would have told me that. What do you think about the move, first of all, Carrie, to go with Paolo in that spot over Chet and Jabari Smith, who were the two other options that they could have been looking at? And secondarily, I mean, we, we've got a few different takeaways from the draft last night in the NBA. Nobody had that top five going in right. that order. That was the top five everybody had in terms of the players being involved. But, but that, that order, order was a shock. Yeah, I think Paolo Bancaro is a if, – if you watched him at any point last season – he looks like a creative player. Like he, he, he looked massively. He looked huge in comparison to the other players on the court. He shoots the ball well. I think he still needs to be able to dribble a little bit better. But he, he, he's a work in progress. He's got a lot of game and a lot of upside just based on his size, his ability to shoot the three and play defense. And and you don't find people. He to me, he's the size of what LeBron is. Had he went to college, had he went to college and and been. Be- uh, faced up against guys that were smaller than him. When he gets to the NBA, I don't know that he'll be he'll look as big or as athletic, but I I definitely liked what he was able to do at Duke. And I'm I'm excited to see him play professionally because I the college game is a little bit different. It's 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 the the, the NBA game is a little bit more wide open. I want to see what he's able to do with the ball in his hands and and he's a, he's an athlete that can get it done. Yeah, I, I don't think you could have gone wrong with going with any of the guys that went top three at the number one overall pick. I, I actually thought that Jabari Smith was going to be that number one pick. I think he's the best player in the draft. I, I think he's just an all-around elite player, and he's going to be a guy that I think he's going to fit well with the Houston Rockets when he dropped all the way down to three. I suspected that the Thunder were going to go with Holgren at number two. Yeah, because they don't want to win right now, and he's yeah. <laughs> he's like exactly. a, two years away but, from being a really good NBA player. But probably. the thing with Holgren is he's more – He's more skilled than I think. When you look at him, he looks like a, a skinny white kid that's big and lanky. Yeah. But he can really hoop. Uh, he can he can shoot it. He can really get to the bucket. And he's a he's a he's a very good athlete for to be as big as he is and and kind of gangly as he looks. He can really play the game. He's so. the opposite of what we said about Drew Verhagen, right? Drew Verhagen, <laughs> he gets off the bus. You're like, exactly. that's the guy. I want him. If we're going out in the backyard. We're playing uh, wiffle ball, whatever, right? He's the number one pick. Yeah. Meanwhile, Chet, you look at him, you're like, man, I'm hold we're up, play we, a pickup. We, we, game I'm not sure that that's the guy that I want uh, wait wait a little bit <laughs> you're still around I'll get you later but you're gonna be surprised when you get him on your team he's he's impressive with, with Paolo I, I saw this comparison and I was like okay that that's what it is he's a better version of what we saw a couple of years ago really from Julius Randle like Julius Randle is a guy that can kind of do it all. No, nah, no, I think he's much better than Julius Randle. I, I think that I think he, stylistically I think upside, though he plays similarly. No, I think he shoots it better than Julius, and I, I think his upside is is vastly is, is greater than than Julius Randle's is uh, then and now. I, I think sure. he's going to be a much better player than Julius Randle is. I, th- that's who he reminds me of a little bit, mm-hmm. and I like. Julius Randle was a really good player two yeah, years he, ago for the he, Knicks. He was. He was the most improved player in the league. I, I would take that guy uh, as part of what I'm trying to build around. The other thing that we noticed last night in the draft, what happened to the big man? Oh. There were no true centers selected in the top 12. The first one that was selected was Jalen Duran at number 13 overall. He went for an adventure. There, yeah, <laughs> he, he was on like seven teams last night. There were only two centers selected in the top 20 picks. Now, we just saw this in the NBA Finals where it was like 
Al Horford yeah. was a big man. Uh, you saw on the the Warriors, their best lineup has a guy that's like six seven and right. Draymond Green right. as their center. So the league has been moving in this direction for a while. But to see it play out this way again, it's just jarring, honestly, because the league that I know certainly for you, yeah. what you grew up with and what I grew up with as well, every year was, hey, is there a big man available? If so, take that guy first there and are, then work out from there. Now there are guys that are 6'11", that can dribble it and shoot it as it's well as, as as guys were when, when they were six feet tall when, when we were coming up. You know, So it, it's definitely changed where there are no true back-to-the-basket guys. Uh, I think about a guy, Kofi Coburn, who from Illinois was a, is a true center, didn't get drafted. And, and he's a guy, when he has his back-to-the-basket, it's tough in that paint to guard him. But you don't see that anymore because, like I said, the basketball, the game in the NBA is so much w- more wide open where guys are, are, are cutting and, and running around picks and moving around. So it's, it's, it's just different now, and there's no need for that guy in, 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 your, in your offense or your, on your team. Yeah, it's all about the spacing, and centers can kind of just become that log jam that that are up in the middle there. And if you don't have the range either, you don't like Chet Holgram. Chet Holgram can shoot the ball from three point yeah. range. You don't have that, you're not going to fit in the league. There's only a handful of centers now that can't really do that. Rudy Gobert's one of them. Yep. Uh, but guys like and he's Bam, about to get traded probably. Yeah, and guys like Bam Adebayo, they have he's got a jump shot that he can go to. Uh, you look at Joel Embiid, the guy can literally take the ball up the length of the floor yeah. and make a move and do the euro step and get into the paint. So if you can't do that. That, then yeah, the center's not really a position really that teams are looking at anymore. That's why I find like Rudy Gobert is going to be an interesting case. To me, DeAndre Ayton's going to be very interesting because he's a free agent. Well, what's going to happen to him? Because that's not what teams are looking for, as you clearly saw in the NBA draft. There is still a need for centers that can help protect the rim. But as you've seen in the playoffs, even then, like Robert Williams with the Celtics, he was hurt, but you start to move away from him because at some point it's hard to keep up with guys like Stephen Curry and uh, Clay Thompson playing on the outside there. Well, I think in the playoffs there's a need for them. Because I was going to mention Robert Williams. I think he didn't play much – or he, he got taken out because of his knees yeah. and his injury. It wasn't because he wasn't playing well. I mean, if you came in that paint, it was a it was a, a huge difference when he was in the game and when he was not. Stefan could get to the bucket when he was not in the game. When he was, those shots were being blocked. They were being tipped. They were being deflected. Um, they were being altered just by his presence. So I think there is a place. It just depends on the team and the style that they choose to play. And he has to be a guy that can rebound, that can defend and multiple run. positions. They've and got to be run. able to run. They, like you look yeah. at Bam, a couple of years ago, the Miami Heat go to the NBA Finals. Why? Because it was obviously just an unreal performance by Jimmy Butler. But also, Bam Adebayo is a rim runner. Yes. He can't yeah. shoot, but he can defend and, and he can get pulled outside. And he's not, an, he's not a mismatch for guards or forwards. I think the Monstars got a hold of him in the playoffs <laughs> because I don't know who the hell that was. He it, was bad it's crazy and that's that's the thing is like it can look good or it can look really bad depending on the night but that's why like you look you mentioned DeAndre Ayton I think he I mean a couple of years ago they go to the finals in part because he elevated his game too and he's one of those guys that can get up and down the floor I mean you look one of the big storylines last night was Jaden Ivey Uh, his mom's from St. Louis he ends up getting selected by the Detroit Pistons at number five I think he's a stud, he's and special. now you look at what the Pistons are building, they're going to be one of the most entertaining teams yes. to watch next year because they are reportedly one of the most likely destinations for DeAndre Ayton. So it could really? be Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, who was last year's number one pick, and then DeAndre Ayton, what, five years ago now, the number one overall right. pick, 
all teaming up together in what could be a super entertaining and athletic squad. So they they were one of for me like the big winners from last night. Jaden Ivey has has game, and I I love watching him play. He gets to the bucket. He's able to shoot it. He is a a a true. He's a hooper. Like he's a guy that you he you see him at the playground. I want him. I know he can go. I want him to do everything he needs to do. Uh, it's exciting watching him and knowing that that he has ties to St. Louis with his mother being from here, and who was a hooper as well. <laughs> she could really get it. Uh, she could really hoop really well. So it was it was exciting for me to watch him uh, get that get that opportunity to be drafted early in, in uh, last night's draft. As we know. If there's an NBA draft, the New York Knicks are always going to be a storyline. And last night was no different. They had the number 11 overall pick. Kind of. To start the (laughs) night, that was the case. And let's go ahead and listen to what the live reaction was from Stephen A. Smith and Spike Lee as they prepare for the pick to be selected. And then the reaction after the pick was announced. Yeah. What do you need? A guard, a center? What do you need? Somebody can help us. <laughs> somebody? A rim protector? You want a shot? Somebody? A shot? Huh? Anybody? <laughs> anybody? Somebody help us. With the 11th pick in the 2022 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select Usman Jang from Bordeaux, France. No! I've never heard anything about him. I appreciate the expertise. He's a sleeper. He's a sleeper. So that was the immediate reaction. Obviously, Stephen A. not thrilled. Spike Lee said, just get anybody, anybody Anybody, that can help us. Anyone that can help. It continued from there when they found out not only did the Knicks not select the player that was just announced. Instead, they traded the number 11 overall pick. They ended up making a multiple different moves that basically resulted in them having no picks last night. And they've got a bunch of future assets and they got cap space out of it. And they're probably going to end up paying Jalen Brunson. God only knows how much money this offseason. But they finished the night with no first round picks. And as you can imagine, (laughs) Stephen A. Smith, less than thrilled. We've seen athletes drafted. We've seen shooters drafted. We've seen point guards drafted. We've seen off guard drafted. We've seen everything drafted. But the Knicks didn't draft anybody. I mean, let's put that in its proper perspective. We We got picked all over the place. Every ingredient that you can muster. You want paprika. You want black pepper. You want salt. You want nothing. It doesn't matter. Everybody got something but one team. Yep. And that's the New York Knicks. It was, I will say this. I, I, I feel for Stephen A. because when you really love uh, an organization, a, a franchise, he looked distraught yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> he really did not look well. And he, looks, he looked extremely frustrated with what took place, what has taken place over the last, I, I, I don't even know when the last time the Knicks were, were good. It had to be when Carmelo first got there, when you looked yeah. at them as a And if we're talking really good, it's Isaiah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's been a long time since they were, they were really good. So I, I don't know how, I don't know what their plan is. Obviously, Stephen A. Smith doesn't know what their plan is either. Um, but they have a plan, uh, uh, allegedly, assuming that they have a plan. I 
I hope they have a plan. <laughs> I think the implant the plan includes twenty five million dollars a year for Jalen Brunson, and I even, like Jalen Brunson. Even even that though is is Jalen Brunson going to move the needle no. to the point <laughs> where it's it's we're going to win games and we're going to be playoff contention. I, I, Jalen Brunson had a had a had a hell of a season. He had a a great playoff run. Luca was the one, though. I, we're not. We're not going to make that mistake or, or or not understand that he was a good player, but Luca was the player. Yeah. So you're 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 putting all your eggs into the Jalen Brunson basket. I don't know that that is going to help you win more. It'll help you win more games. I don't know. It gets you over the hump that you need to be to get to the playoffs and be a a, a playoff contender. As a Mizzou fan, I can relate to what he was just doing <laughs> oh, hey, there. I, I went to Illinois. I Everything that can go wrong will go wrong at as a Mizzou point. fan. Hey, you can get the number one recruit in the country. His name's Michael Porter Jr. Has, from your he... own back re- backyard. And then before he ever plays in yeah. a game for your university, back surgery. he has back surgery. Yeah. The gentleman had back surgery. He was so talented, Kerry. He went in the lottery off of back surgery right. where they thought he may never play basketball again. And he's been he's had another surgery, I believe, since then. So, yeah, it's... It's tough when you when you love. Mizzou has had the number one overall recruit in football and in basketball in the last decade. They got a combined like ten good <laughs> games out of them, ten in both sports. Yeah, one of them was kicked off the team. The other never played for him. Ah, so yeah, I I can relate to being a Knicks fan. It's tough. that's that's pretty much how it goes. It's heartbreaking. With Kerry Davis. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. If you've got a question for Kerry, for Tanner, for myself, we'll get him in next coming up here on 101 ESPN. I've never heard anything about him. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. It is also a Friday, so that means ask us anything. If you've got any questions, sports or otherwise, go ahead and throw those in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Carrie, Tanner, were you guys surprised as Illinois fans that Kofi Coburn went undrafted last night? I was. I, I thought, but as we talked about earlier, and KD uh, tweeted out, it's a it's a wings league, and he's not a wing. He's a big man. He doesn't shoot it well. He doesn't, um, you know, he he runs the court pretty well. But he's a he's a true big back to the basket big man. Um, you throw the ball to him, he gets double teamed. He'll kick it back out, uh, or he'll go up and try to dunk on you or lay it up. So, it, it, yes and no. I, I think he's a very good very good uh, basketball player um, and hopefully he gets a, an opportunity to continue playing. I, I wasn't really shocked. I, I, I thought he had a sleeper's chance to get in nor, near the end of the second round, but I, I'm not really shocked that he wasn't drafted because I, I think in the NBA he could be somewhat exposed, especially early on in the NBA. Yeah. So I think he's going to need time to develop. He'll probably be in the G League at some point this year. Uh, he's going to go play for Utah in the Summer League, it sounds like. I think he signed, signed a contract undrafted with them. Uh, but yeah, no traditional big man in the NBA really anymore. And He's a good defender. He can block shots in the paint, but you can take advantage of him on the pick and roll. So I, I and that's a problem. Yeah, and, a huge and problem. That's a huge problem to go in the NBA. So I'm not really stunned that he didn't get drafted last night. I thought he would get a non guaranteed second round second round deal. That felt like the landing spot for him, but yeah. 
Welcome to 2022, where I, like 10 years ago, I think he gets drafted. Yeah. Uh, today, though, the game has just changed so much because of the way that it's played that I guess it makes a little bit more sense for that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Carrie, I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I've got a question for you. All righty. How realistic do you think it is for the Steelers to be able to win the AFC North given the two quarterbacks that they brought in this year? I don't think it matters about their quarterbacks. I think it's more about the other quarterbacks in the division. Uh, Lamar Jackson, a healthy Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, um, those two. And and we obviously don't know what's going on in Cleveland. Um, But those two in itself are going to be a tough task. Uh, And then, like you said, with Ben being gone, Mike Tomlin's first year without him, trying to figure out what that offense looks like. Is it Trubisky? Is it Pickett? I don't think it's Mason, no. <laughs> but uh, uh, is it one of those two? And, and how well do they pick up the offense? How well are they able to, you know, get the ball to their guys? And, and what does uh, Najee do? What does he look like? Because he's he's a special talent. What's that offensive line look like? What does the offensive line look like? Because that that was has been an issue for the past few years as well. So um, and my heart wants me to say yay, <laughs> but my brain is saying nay. Carrie, <laughs> you were with Ben early on in Pittsburgh. Yeah. What's it like for you? I mean, you you were there for the beginning mm-hmm. of his tenure in Pittsburgh, and now you've seen what the end looks like. What's it going to be like to just not have Ben Roethlisberger as the starting quarterback it, for the Steelers? It's kind of strange. I mean, when you have something or someone there, you know, for, for I guess nearly 20 years, I think it's 18 years, something like that, it, it, it's, it's hard to fathom what that looks like without him being in uniform, without him being on the sideline, without having that – that that voice in the huddle uh, that you can lean on that has so much experience throughout these the all of the seasons that he's played, and you're gonna have a new voice, you're gonna have a new leader, a new person that comes into that huddle and has to you know rally the troops and get those guys ready to play and and, and do their job well. Uh, as a fan, it's 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 still football. You know, people come yeah. and go. We understand as a former player, I understand it. it, it nobody plays forever. This time was coming, but um, no, I'm 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 excited to see what the new offense looks like without without being in, in behind under center six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line this one comes from the three one four guys it sounds like kevin durant might legitimately leave the brooklyn nets and he would have to be traded to do so where would you like to see him go <laughs> did you see this yesterday apparently it, kyrie irving is trying to get out of brooklyn and he Shocker. might opt in to be traded somewhere else. And then KD would want to leave. Yeah. Because he, he I think they made that arrangement that him and Kyrie wanted to be together and play together. And, and when things are well, it's it's really it's really good when Kyrie chooses not to play or when he's unable <laughs> to play. It's not good. Uh, and it's a it's a load on KD. That question made me think of what would it look like if he decided to try to go back to Golden State? Yes. He, Somebody I mean, else it, on the here's the, here's the thing. I, if you're Golden State, you got Poole, you got Wiggins. I think I believe that that would be a team that that would be two guys that Brooklyn would look at and say, "Heck yeah, oh, Golden State." Yes. Oh, I think OKC. Oh no 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 no. I, I let's see him with Chet. I don't think he wants to go back to OKC. It, I think it he would wants be so to much fun win. though. And and I think if you were to if he were to look at it big picture grand scheme of things you know sometimes you break up with the one you you look at it you think ah, you know See, what? We, she was we're the disagreeing best on one. which one we think was the best one she for him i think he one. was happier in okc 
looking back BK, on it. BK, trust me, you're happier when you're winning championships. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's nice. He was being... miserable that last year in Golden the State. The last year, yes. I, I don't think him and Draymond get along. I, I don't think, I don't think I don't Draymond think, would okay it. I don't think Draymond would have a problem with it because Draymond Ooh. wants to win championships. And he, he all of that put aside... When you win championships, everything feels much better. You know where I'd like to see him go, and I don't think he would go Can here. Can I guess? Yeah. Miami? No, that's a good one. I, I'm going, and it because it reminds me, this player basically comps to what he had at OKC, Memphis. I don't, he would not go there. Yeah. But if you put him I, with Jaw, oh, it, it, it would look a lot like when you had KD and Russell Westbrook yeah. moving together in OKC. Yeah. So... I, I would love I don't see to see that, that happening because that's either. Josh's team. And, 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 and it's Josh, just a smaller yeah, market. Yeah. And knowing KD, I think he wants to be on bright lights like in New York or in L.A., out on the coast somewhere. But if you put him on that Memphis team, watch out. I'm, I'm a Warriors fan. I wouldn't mind. I mean, I, I think Poole and Wiggins are outstanding. But, hey, if I could yeah, I mean, if I could two, upgrade those two into the... Like a conservatively about? speaking, top three player in the world. Yeah, yeah you, you go ahead and do that. The other team that would be fun, just as a basketball fan, would be Atlanta. Seeing him with Trey, yeah. it's kind of the same idea as him going to a um, Memphis. It's, it's crazy that we're even having that conversation. Seeing as how, you know, him, Harden, and 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 Kyrie were the next big three, and now Harden is gone. Kyrie is about to be gone, and obviously, it looks like KD might be as well. It, it you can't have that happen as a as a as a franchise, as a GM, as a coach, you can't lose those three guys and not have anything to show for it. Imagine a fun scenario where he went to Cleveland. Mm. Took the range of where LeBron was. God, there. They've got he the thought assets. It was weird being in Golden State yeah. on Steph's team. <laughs> Imagine going to Cleveland. They got, they got the assets where they could probably pull it off. It, that would be a fun storyline to see KD go to Cleveland. I think Miami's the one. Like Miami's always in on these big time moves. That's maybe, the one that maybe makes it's sense. New York. The Knicks. Maybe that's why the Knicks now, didn't they're, they're draft not, They're anyone. not smart enough to make that move. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would make a lot of sense. I don't know what they're... I don't they think they have the assets they to do They it. wouldn't they offer him picks. a... Yeah. I Plenty bet, of them. We yeah. got, how many do you want? What do you need? I bet he wouldn't go to the Knicks because they were the team that reportedly would not offer him the max contract when he came off the Achilles injury God, when he so left dumb. Golden State. Yeah, yeah. But That would have been worth it just because... I mean, the upside alone is worth the potential of it. With Kerry Davis, he's a Super Bowl champion. And Tanner Hendrickson, he's not. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I got to state in high school in tennis. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including how many current NFL wide receivers are going to be future pro football Hall of Famers? One young guy said yesterday he believes he will be on that list. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, do you miss... Five years ago, when series like what we're about to witness this weekend meant something. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cubs this weekend. It's a series that is being held in St. Louis. You may not have noticed the fact that that (laughs) series is being played because it means nothing, unfortunately. And alongside Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at about 30 minutes, we will go to Chicago to be joined by Jesse Rogers, who covers the Cubs, covers Major League Baseball for ESPN. He joins us coming up at 1230. But, Kerry, as I was thinking about this series, uh, that it's the first one between the Cubs and the Cardinals here in St. Louis so far this year. Mm-hmm. 
honestly, it just kind of made me sad. It made me wish that this was more like what we saw five years ago, even. That's after, like, the real prime right. of the Cubs era, where these series meant something. It wasn't just Cubs cards. It was, man, these teams are battling for contention right. in the National League. You've been a part of some great rivalries, whether it was at your time during your time at Illinois or with the Steelers, where you've got all of those AFC North rivalries. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to play the Browns when you're on the Steelers when they suck every year for that was every year, 15 though. years. Yeah, that was every year. That's different now, <laughs> right? Like the, the last th- three years or so, yeah. it takes on a new meaning to have those games. Or it's Cincinnati that right. takes on a new meaning now. And this Cubs card series was supposed to mean something. So earlier today, when I was listening to Carriker and Smallman and Michelle said this, all I could do was just nod along the entire time. Like, yeah, I wish we still had that. You can't tell me that watching the Cubs suck was more fun than what happened in 2015. And yes, it did not work out in the Cardinals' favor in the playoffs and the Cubs Mm -hmm. beat the Cardinals. But when you have the Cardinals winning 100 games and the Cubs are right there, and who else was it? The Pirates that also won like 100 games that year. It was so fun. And to think that the Cubs could finally get it done was fun, I think, for the rivalry and fun for Cardinals fans. And I wonder how it's going to be when they're good again. That's where I'm at. I'm so excited for the Cubs to be good again. I don't want them to be too good. Don't get me wrong. I don't want them winning 100 games. But, man, I'm ready for this series to mean something. Somebody on the text line said, how does this series mean nothing? The Cardinals are currently tied for first because the team they're playing stinks. And if the Cardinals don't win two out of three this weekend, it's a disappointment. I I think I'm going to go the other way. Okay. I am of the mindset of when you have a rival, you don't want them to have any success. I... I truthfully, I have friends that are Cubs fans. I went to Illinois. I got, I know plenty of plenty of people that are. I never wanted them to win. I wanted them to sit in that for their entire lives of never knowing what it felt Isn't to be. Isn't it better a ch- though to have it's, them it's, have it cut no, short at the no, end where their hearts not. are broken? It's not than for it's them better, to just live. It's better hopeless. for them to never have hope. <laughs> to never feel the feeling of having success is much more is greater in my eyes than 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 actually seeing something tangible and maybe being able to reach out to it and, and just not getting it. No, it's not there. It's never been there. It'll never be there. Live with that. Deal with it. And and move on with your life. That's my opinion. I, I, I think as a as a Cardinals, as a lifelong Cardinals fan, I never want the Cubs to have any success. Ever. I want them to lose every game, whether they're playing the <laughs> Cardinals or not. <laughs> I mean, obviously when they're playing the Cardinals, but even when they're not, just just lose. I, I that's how I feel. That's how I felt about the Ravens. That's how I felt about wait, wait, we didn't think about the Browns. That's how I felt about the Bengals. So to me, I would want them to lose as much as possible. I don't want them close. I don't want them thinking that they have an opportunity. And I definitely don't want them winning a championship while I have to watch. See, I kind of felt that way when the Cubs hadn't won a World Series for 100-plus years, where it was like if they were bad, it was enjoyable because look at that. It's still the streak goes on. But now that they've won the World Series, like I, I, don't, view that, I don't view it that way because they still have that taste of success. And then honestly, I just hate watching games in which I know that the Cardinals and Cubs isn't competitive. Well, th- their fans are different now. It used to be, oh, wait till next year. Now it's like, oh, we won, and so we're good. Like They can go a whole another 100 years and still be satisfied. <laughs> Whereas had they not won that, that they would still have a little misery within them, hoping and wishing and waiting, and and you know they got they got their one now they they feel you know vindicate, vindicated a little bit. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service text line from the six three six. BK, would you want KU to have hope? Would that make it better for the bragging rights game? 
So here's the thing. Well, I, I, so, I, I don't mean to cut you out. You all might be the other. It's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need you to say that. I can speak from a place of understanding. Hey, listen. When Mizzou plays Kansas in basketball, Mizzou is the Cubs of this situation. They don't win a whole lot. So, like, yes, I would much rather have Mizzou winning in this scenario. But I do feel like like, there was a couple of years when I was in school, Carrie, where you're you're never going to believe this. Mizzou was really good at Mm -hmm. basketball. It was 2011, 2012. And that that final year of Mizzou being in the Big 12, I went to the Mizzou KU game at Mizzou Arena. It's the greatest college sporting event I've ever been Mm. to live. Why? Because there were real tangible stakes. Those teams were both like legitimately top 15 teams in the country that year. And when you go to the arena in that capacity or the field, the stadium, whatever, like it takes on such a different meaning when you have real stakes that are attached to those games. And like people are getting on me about this game, this series not meaning a whole lot, guys. Like, if the Cubs win, if the Cardinals win, it doesn't much matter for like any tiebreakers or the division, anything like that. The the Cardinals are competing for the NL Central. The Cubs are competing for their players to be sent off at the deadline. (laughs) That's the only thing that matters for them this year is what they get out of their trade assets. And I just that doesn't appeal to me the same way. I want to see the Cardinals and Cubs going to the field today with basically being what the Brewers Cardinal series yeah. just was that felt meaningful. Yeah. And the, the thing that's really frustrating, honestly, about this entire season for the Cardinals is there are three teams that you're playing within your division that every time you play them, the games mean nothing for those teams. Yeah. None of those players really matter in the grand scheme of things for those teams, or at least very few of them. It's all about what the future holds two, three, four years down the line. And that stinks, man. That's not what this is supposed to be. Well, if, if, if those games as you say, don't matter, then the Cardinals should win those, <clears throat> excuse me, they should win those games without any any real issues or any, any trouble. So the problem becomes if you're not taking care, if you're not winning those series, if you're if you're splitting them or if you're losing the series, it's going to be a, that, that's where the issues arise, where you start looking at your team and saying, oh, when you play poor teams, you're supposed to win three out of four. Like you said, two out of three. You're supposed to sweep them. If you're not doing that, then you have to look at yourselves and figure out, okay, what do we need to do better? Because this team is terrible and we're struggling with them. And and the excuse of you play down to the level of competition is not a good enough excuse. You should be beating the hell out of the teams that are in the basement and understanding that that's going to help you know bring your record up to um to be in con- contingent for for the division lead. Yeah, whoever whoever ends up beating up the Pirates, the Reds, and the Cubs the best this year between the Cardinals and Brewers that's who wins the division. is going to yeah. win the division. I mean, that's just as simple as it goes. And and we were talking with uh, Tim Dillard earlier about the uh, NL Central, and he said, well, it always seems like the Cubs raise their level of competition to when they're playing the Cardinals and the Brewers. Yeah, no, that can't be the case. The Cardinals need to make sure that they take care of business. They're Like Kerry said, there are no excuses. Yeah. You should take two of three at minimum in this series. There, there's no doubt about that. And if the Cubs start to become that uh, team that is kind of playing spoiler, then sure, maybe the rivalry has a little bit more in it this year. But still, I, I'm not really excited for this series because I like watching competitive baseball games against good teams. And when you go through these series, especially like the one we just went through Milwaukee, and now i got to go through the phase in which we got to watch the Cubs, it, it just – I hate – doing it as a as a fan and as someone that has to cover the team I, I will say this also as a as a cub if you're a cubs fan and you're, if you're a cubs player you want to beat the cardinals because they are the leading the division they are your rival you don't want them to to win the division or or have a a season where they go on and have a run in the playoffs and possibly win another championship 
So the rivalry in our eyes, as you're saying, it may not be, that's not that important, but they are looking at it as, we want to beat the hell out of those guys. Unfortunately, they just aren't good players. <laughs> then, then the Cardinals should take care of business. It shouldn't be an issue. 100%. I, I hope that it gets back to where it was five years ago, sooner rather than later. My concern is they've got cheap ownership and they don't seem to be all that invested in getting to that place of contention once again. And it's very clear based on our text line, Carrie, that the vast majority of the listeners agree with you where they're like, Hey, great. Yeah. Lose a hundred games yeah, every year. <laughs> no sweat off of my Not back. At all. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get an update from Jesse Rogers on where the uh, Cubs stand in their rebuild. How long away are they from being a real contender again? We'll talk to Jesse Rogers about that coming up at 1230, but next NFL quick hitters, including how many current NFL wide receivers are going to be future hall of famers. There's at least one young guy that thinks he's going to be on that list. I'll tell you who it is next. You're on one. 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Justin Jefferson, the Vikings wide receiver, went on NFL Network and he was asked about what his career goals are, what his aspirations are. And he made it very clear, quote, I have to do this for myself to get on the platform of being what I believe I can be. And that's a future Hall of Famer, end quote. Now, Justin Jefferson, I would expect to say exactly that. He's a very talented player, and based on what he's done so far, he's averaging 91 yards per game in his NFL career. That, if he continues it, is a legitimate Hall of Fame pace. It got me thinking, though, because the numbers have changed so much in today's game Mm -hmm. with Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson on Brandon Kiley that there are going to be a lot of wide receivers that put up numbers that break records that we saw 15, 20, 30 years ago. How many current wide receivers that are active today are going to be future Hall of Famers? Because the criteria has to change with the way that the game has changed. I I, I, I looked up some some players, and I'm going to run off some names. Okay. And we can, we can count them out. In my opinion, Devontae Adams. Got it. Uh, Justin Jefferson. He's on my list. Jamar Chase. On my list. Um, Tyreek Hill. On my list. Mike Evans. I've got him as a borderline guy, but he hey, is on my list. Mike Evans is, 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 he has, uh, I think in eight seasons, he's almost at 10,000 yards receiving. He's going to continue to get, and I think over 50 or 60 touchdowns. I, I would put Mike Evans in. The he's, touchdowns he's, are going to be what does it? He has 75 in his career. He has 75 already. 75 okay, I he touchdowns. Yeah, so I, I knew it was a high number. He's going to end up with 100 touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, Man, you know, in the next two or three years, won a Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl. He's, Big part he's, of Brady's yeah, legacy is yeah. being a- alongside him. I, yes. I think you're right. I think he gets in eventually. DeAndre Hopkins, I've got him on my list. Okay, but he, um, I will say, the injuries and the suspensions he adding to, he up, he's got to gotta continue this. This is based off of his Houston years. Sure, if he gets back on that pace, I, I think DeAndre is is a is a Hall of Famer. Keenan Allen, he's somebody that I, I think he's the Hall of Very Good. I don't really? think he ends up getting really? in, but it depends on what happens with Herbert okay. because him and Herbert have such a good connection and he's yes. consistently a guy that posts like 11 to 1200 yard seasons. He is a really productive player. Yes. But right now I think he's in the hall of very good. And I, I, he's only in year five going into six. I think 
But I think if he continues on the pace that he had last season, Cooper Cup yep. will be will be one of those guys as well. And then you have your guys that are not actually on a team but have not actually Julio. retired. Julio, Antonio Brown. Yep. Despite all of the other antics, he is one of the best receivers to ever He's a Hall play. Oh, it's, it's it, and it may take him. He won't be a first ballot because you know they'll hold a, they'll hold some things against him. But he's he's definitely a Hall of Famer. I've got two more to throw at you. Can okay. I get, can I guess one of them? Sure. Is it Odell Beckham? No. Um, he, injuries. If injuries it, hurt him. He was yes. so. I was going off his early years in God. New York. He was on pace. Yes. Yeah. He was on pace. It, it, same thing. Somebody said Michael Thomas. Same thing. Yeah. Injuries have derailed yeah. it, but yeah. he was. He was potentially on pace to be one of those guys. AJ Green. I was going to say him as well. AJ, he may be on the on the. You know what? I'll say yes. I will say AJ Green. I think he ends up getting in. He was so dominant for early so, on yes. in his career. He yes. made. He made Andy Dalton look like a legit Pro Bowl quarterback yes. there for a little while. So yes. I, I'm going to put him on this list. And the one other guy that I would say, I, not there yet, okay. I, a trajectory though. And he's in the right system with the right quarterback, Stephon Dix. I I I wanted to say him, but I I don't. I'm not. I'm not certain. I, I, he's he's one of those guys. I, I need think to they see. need to win a Super Bowl, and he needs to continue producing big time numbers with Josh Allen. Yes, yes. I I, I love. I love. I think he's a, a a fantastic route runner. I think he has great hands. He has great speed. He does a lot of things well. I just didn't have him. A.J. Green and, and Stephon Diggs were yep. two that I, I thought in my mind, but I, I left them off. But those were the two that I also That had. was 11 guys yeah, I at the wide that. receiver position. And, and Are we, we going to get that many from this era? We didn't say Debo, mm-hmm. who, who just based on the offense that he's in and the quarterback that he has, you, you don't put him on you. We didn't say um, A.J. Brown, who is a, who is an elite receiver Stud. who still has some some time to grow. And, and, and so you, you may be looking at, you know, Maybe 12, 13, 14, 15 guys with, with some of the people that, that we didn't And you've got add guys on. coming in, yeah. too, this yeah. year that are everybody seems to believe are hi- highly regarded. And yep. next year, there's some more. Every year, there are superstar wide receivers that are getting in uh, to the league. Man, it's, it's going to be hard eventually yeah. to be able to get in here. All right, final thing here before we get to Jesse Rogers on the other side. The Colts are super excited about what they're seeing so far this offseason from Matt Ryan. They are comparing what he brings to the table to what they used to have with Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning just from a mental Mm. side of the game. Which quarterback that changed teams do you think is going to have the most success this season? So quarterback from this offseason that switched teams, you got like Russell Wilson, any of the rookie quarterbacks. I would go with Russell. Because the way th- their defense is set up to be successful, they're in a tough division. Uh, they're gonna, it's gonna be a gauntlet, you know, week in and week out playing in that division. The way they ran the ball, they were, a, they were, <laughs> they were Drew Locke away from, you know. <laughs> they almost beat the Chiefs late in the season, yes, and then Drew Locke yes. fumbled, and the Chiefs returned it for a touchdown. Game, I was, <laughs> really? at, I was there. Yes, it was, it was it, late in the were, fourth quarter. They had all, they had all the opportunities to win that game and just didn't take care of business. I think the, I think Russell Wilson going to the Broncos is going to be uh, um, the one. Do you that, think they that, win more games than the Colts? Because that doesn't mean that the Colts are a better team, but they're in a much easier division. Yeah. Because the way that the Colts run the ball and the way their offensive line and their defense is set up, they they were also a quarterback they away were from Carson Wentz. They away. were a Carson Wentz <laughs> away from being a very. I mean, you lose two games at the end of the season, and and one being to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and don't get into the playoffs. Oh. You are a truly a, a Carson Wentz away from from 
being playoff contention. And uh, I think we're in the same line here because I think Russell Wilson's going to be a better quarterback this year. But yeah. if you said head to head, who wins more games next season? I, I think would I would Colts. take the Colts. Yeah, based on, but that may be based on the division that they're in. One hundred percent, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the schedule. Like, yeah. I, it's just so hard to see the Broncos winning more than like eleven games next season. Chiefs win the division. I think I'm going to take the Chargers. Really? Um, I think the Chargers win it. I think they're just the more talented team. I think the I, Chiefs are going to take the early portion of the season to get things going, to figure out what this offense needs to look like. Right. But I, it I think it's going to be like tight. a team that runs the ball more. Yeah, well, we'll see on that. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, Jesse Rogers is an MLB insider for ESPN. He covers the Cubs up in Chicago as well. What's he expecting from this series this week? And does he miss when this series meant something more? We'll talk to Jesse about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 10 minutes we're diving into the junk drawer but right now we are happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Jesse Rogers he's an ESPN Major League Baseball insider you can follow him on Twitter he's at Jesse Rogers ESPN and Carrie a little while ago we were lamenting the fact that this Cubs Cardinal series or at least I was you were happy about it doesn't quite have the same stakes that it had five years ago and one thing that goes into that is since the last time these two teams met which was on june 5th the cubs have lost 12 of their last 15 games and that has taken place while they've played baltimore who's not very good new york san diego atlanta those are good teams but they just lost three out of four against pittsburgh and the pirates are not a great team either Good. And you're happy about it. I'm all very this. happy about that. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that with Jesse Rogers of ESPN. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jesse, we appreciate the time as always, man. We were just talking about the fact that since the last time the Cardinals and the Cubs met, the Cubs have gone through a rough stretch, 12 out of 15 losses, including three out of four in Pittsburgh. At this point, what are the Cubs playing for here the rest of the first half of the season? Tryouts for 2023. You know, that's, <laughs> really what it's about i mean we joke but that's what you have to do when you're when you're out of the race uh this early in the season just get reps for the people that deserve them people you think will be here in the future people you're not sure of as long as they're ready to play major league baseball and that's what they're doing with guys like christopher morell who was pretty good you know against the cardinals when they were at home here he's been pretty good against everyone then you got pitchers like justin Steele and keegan thompson who have showed signs of being major league guys um but, you know, fans aren't really interested in, in tryouts. They want to see winning baseball. That's not happening on the north side of Chicago this year. Jesse, we were talking about um, just a rivalry in general and, and how it's viewed uh, amongst fans and, and players. What are your thoughts as far as, as would you want to see a rivalry that is, is competitive? Or, you know, if you're a fan of one team over the other, would you want them to, to, to constantly beat them up and, and not have any issues, you know, every time they play them? No, I think it's much more enjoyable to be competitive i think of 2015 (laughs) where the pirates the cubs and the cardinals all had just great seasons and the cubs beat the cardinals their rivals in the playoffs in dramatic fashion i it's much more fun that way i mean think about the nl west um think about the al east other than the yankees (laughs) you know um and then then again just even the nl central with two teams milwaukee and st louis battling it out and I think they, they certainly will be down this stretch as well. We just saw them in a series just go toe-to-toe. So 
Um, it's much more fun in a rivalry if, if both sides are in it. You just want your team to win it. And uh, right now, um, only one side of this rivalry is in the race, and that's the Cardinals. Jesse, how many players that Cardinals fans see in this series on the Cubs side of things do you think are going to be traded before the deadline? Several for sure. Um, I mean, Wilson Contreras is number one. I don't see anything but that happening. Uh, There's always a curveball that can be thrown. Maybe he stays the rest of the year because they don't hear what they want to hear. But then again, he walks away for nothing. So you gotta get, you got to get the best for him. I'm sure they will. I mean, if they traded Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, I'm sure they're going to trade Contreras. Um, after that, it gets a little iffy because of injuries. Normally, I tell you for sure, Wade Miley would be gone, but he's been injured most of this year. Uh, Drew Smiley's also been injured. Marcus Stroman's been injured. Now, he signed past this year, but any of those guys would be candidates. Cal Hendricks could be moved. He has one more year. Um, Ian Happ could be moved. He has one more year. It's, it's hard to know, right? I mean, these are things they keep pretty close to the vest. The one we know is Wilson Contreras. The other one we probably know is the closer, David Robertson. The last thing a losing team needs is a closer, and you absolutely 100% get more for closers in July than you do in December or January. So I'll just start with those two players, but really any reliever could be available. Let's face it, any player on that team other than maybe Morell and Suzuki could be available. You want Jason Hayward back? He's all yours. So um, it, it's, it's pretty much open for business. Uh, in general, right? You just have to hear the right thing back. Contreras and and David Robertson at the top of that list. I don't think Cardinals fans want him back, unfortunately, (laughs) Jesse. Um, I I did want to ask a quick follow-up. You mentioned Kyle Hendricks maybe potentially be available. There's no chance the Cubs would trade him to St. Louis, right? Highly, highly, highly doubtful. I mean, it would have to be the only team interested, and they blow him away. I mean, you never say never. We have seen... I mean, the Cubs and Sox have made trades. I, I can't really recall the last Cubs-Cardinals one. Maybe you guys can. Um, but when a team is – yeah, right, that, that worked out great. When a team <laughs> is at the top and the other team's at the bottom, it's not unheard of. It would just have to be – they'd have to get blown away. I mean, Jet Hoyer understands the situation here, and that would be pretty devastating to hand the Cardinals the final piece to a championship unless you are handing back your number one prospect or something like that. Jesse, shifting gears a little bit, um, Aaron Judge just settled uh, his settlement with the New York Yankees for $19 million. What does that mean for him uh, for the rest of the season, and what does it look like going forward, going into the next season, um, when he's due again to get, to get paid? Yeah, it's very interesting to me. I covered Wilson Contreras here in Chicago, who did the same thing on the day of his arbitration hearing. He settled. Um, the, 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 the linkage there is that both Judge and Contreras are having career years. And I think the last thing, and I know this for a fact with the Cubs, the last thing they wanted to do is go in there and tell him how bad his 2021 season was <laughs> well, while he's having a career year. That's just, just not good. And in the Cubs' case, it, 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 it even mattered less because they're not going to re-sign him, at least that's my guess, where the Yankees still could. So my point is you want to probably keep a good relationship. I don't think Judge would have taken it personally or whatever, but it just it's just not a good feeling to, to have to go to the actual hearing for a team that you may want to still play for. Now, I will say uh, JT Realmuto did the same. He lost a hearing, went to free agency for Philly, and signed back with him in January. I, I think that's extremely rare. I think once you go to that uh, moment where you're all 30, all 30 teams are all 29 other ones can bid on you, it feels like most likely you're gone unless you do get blown away, and he certainly did sign a huge deal. So I, 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 he's going to get his $300 million plus. I, I assume it's going to be the Yankees. There's only a few teams that could probably pay that. 
Um, and he's, he's having the kind of year where you're going to have to pay maximum dollar. Uh, so it's just like, let's not overthink this. The Yankees have the money. This is a great player. He's a Yankee true and true. I would say he would sign there. But, heck, Freddie Freeman, I thought, would be a brave for life after winning the World Series, and he moved on. So you, you never do know. But uh, the settlement can only be good news in the sense that, okay, at least we didn't have to go through something bad today, and, and, and now he's making $19 million, and I'm sure he's not upset about that. Jesse Rogers is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Jesse, how do you view this Cardinals team? From your perspective, more of a national view than what we have on a day-to-day basis, how do you view this team and what they've done so far this year? Yeah, I've been on several times down down in St. Louis, and I, I thought before the season began they would, quote, run away with the division. Now, when I say that, I'm talking maybe five games, you know, not necessarily ten. I still think they're going to win the division within zero to five games. Like, I, I think they're going to win the division. I've thought that all along. Um, you can look at the glass being half full or half empty. They're middle of the pack in, in a bunch of categories, right? Yet they're right there in first place, right? Now, granted, it's a down division, and all that jazz other than Milwaukee. Uh, Anyway, I look at the class being half full. They'll do something at the deadline. They barely did much at the deadline last year and made the playoffs. I think they'll do more than John Lester and J.A. Happ, right? So I think think the arrow's pointing up for St. Louis. I think they're better than Milwaukee right now. Um, I think Milwaukee will probably add, so maybe it'll all come out even by August 2nd. But I just think they're better. I mean, they just they're just better. They they and they do everything well. Um, they're, they're, they probably have the potential to do a few things even better, even great. We know they could do it on the mound if they were healthy. So there's not much, you know, looking from a distance. Uh, I have to complain about the St. Louis Cardinals. I will say they haven't re- really gone on that like September run of last year yet. They've done well. They have moved into first place, but they haven't. Every time they they take two, two steps forward or three steps forward. It seems like they do take one back, and that's with Cole Schmidt, you know, looking like an MVP. So um, I think they need to just you know, sort of move into the next gear in the second half, and I do think they will. That's just kind of my simple, simple opinion of it even before we get to the deadline and everything. Yeah, we, we have pretty similar views on, on what this Cardinals team is and what they can be. I think that for most Cardinals fan, the question for them, as you mentioned the deadline a little bit ago, is what kind of pitching could they potentially acquire, whether that be a starter or a reliever. I think the Cardinals, it's at least possible they're in the market for one or both of those. What is the? What do you think the pitching market will be as we get closer to the deadline? Is it going to be a seller's market, a buyer's market? How do you think that's going to shape up? No, I do think it's going to be a buyer's market. Be, or I'm sorry, a seller's market in a sense, because um, there are, the races have evolved a little bit more here, and you certainly do want to win your division. And when I say they've evolved, Philadelphia's gotten back into it um, in the National League, for example. Atlanta has gotten, obviously, back into it in the National League as well. So the, 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 and the, there's some defined sellers, and there's absolutely some defined buyers that need help. So I think there's going to be um, there's going to be a, fen- a, a, a feeding frenzy for pitching. We we see it every year. There's no no reason we won't see it this year. I don't think people want to be the third wild card, right? I think they want to win the division. That's kind of the feeling. And we have a couple divisions that are up for grabs, and maybe even all three in the National League because now Atlanta's played its way back into it, and maybe Philly as well. So uh, that's where it becomes interesting. I don't think the Mets sit still where maybe they would have if they had a 10-game lead, right? Um, I certainly don't think Milwaukee or St. Louis sit still. Why would any of the NOS teams sit still? So I think that turns into a seller's market, and um, there'll be a, 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 a certainly a um, uh, pitching will be a premium. There's no doubt about it. The other part that will be a premium is left-handed hitting. I'm 
one of these guys that's obsessed with left-handed hitting. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm serious. I don't think fans and maybe even media members understand or talk about it enough. Um, I view left-handed hitting like I view top of the rotation pitching or like a closer. In other words, if um, the Cardinals didn't have Adam Wainwright or Jack Flaherty, you guys every day would be talking about how can we play without a, a, an ace? If you didn't have a closer, how can we play without a closer? To me, it's the same thing from the left side of the batter's box. How do you intend to win if you're the Toronto Blue Jays or Chicago White Sox or for a while the Yankees without left-handed hitting? Now, Cashman has thrown everything at the wall to see what sticks, getting Rizzo, getting Gallo, getting your former guy, Matt Carpenter. So there's not many great left-handed hitters out there. There's a lot of teams looking for it. I think St. Louis is pretty good from the left side of the plate, from from what I remember looking at the numbers and stuff. Um, But there's going to be other teams. Andrew Benatendi's out there. And like, and then lefty relievers as well. There's not many Andrew Chapin's out there. So if you don't need uh, one of those and you can go after pitching only, I think, I think you'll find a guy. I mean, you found Hap and Lester last year, right? If you just do a little bit better than that, the Cardinals will be okay. It's, a, it's the first time in a while, actually, that the Cardinals don't have a need for a lefty bat because you've got Edmund and uh, Dylan Carlson as switch hitters. Then you got Donovan and Gorman, who have been really good so far yep. since coming up on the left side. And then whether it's Newt Barr or Dickerson, those fourth outfielder types that are both uh, from the left side as well. It's It's been an issue for them in the past. And I think that is part of, to your point, Jesse, why they had so many struggles once they got into the playoffs is they were super right-handed heavy. They go up against a right-handed starter and they can't do anything against them. And that was kind of the issue whether it be last year in the playoffs or dating all the way back to when they went up against the Nationals in the NLCS. It's, it's been and, an and issue the White Sox, Yeah, the White Sox have the same problem this year. The Toronto Blue Jays, I, I picked the Blue Jays to win the World Series, and now I'm regretting it because I, I, I think they have nine home runs from the left side of the batter's box. Wow. The, and, and you can live this way if your right-handers are great for 162 games, but it's the playoffs where it shows up. You, you face mostly elite right-handers in the postseason, and they will shut down your elite right-handers for the most part. And that's when you need a Kyle Schwarber to run into a home run in the seventh inning against Max Scherzer or something, and that's how you win a game against an elite righty. So, yes, I think you need lefties more than ever in the playoffs in general. Um, And there's a couple teams I just mentioned that have problems uh, offensively. I think the Brewers are, are challenged offensively. They had a run there during the early portion of the season. I, I, I didn't think it would last, and it didn't. They're still a little bit better offensively than I thought they'd be, but I think the Cardinals, top to bottom, are just simply a better team. And traditionally, over the last half decade, I have loved Milwaukee. I have loved Greg Council, but this is the year with Pools, Molina, and Wainwright. I'm buying into the storyline that they're in it to win it. And I certainly think they'll win the division. Hey, Jesse, it's always great to catch up. Thanks so much for the time today. Enjoy this series this weekend between the Cardinals and the Cubs. And we'll talk with you again soon. Anytime. Take care. You got it. That's Jesse Rogers joining us here on 101 ESPN. Follow him on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN. Uh, he, He talked about how the divisions races have started to heat up in the National League. Early on, it seemed like, okay, well, it's just not going to be the the Phillies or the Braves year. You look at it now. The Braves are up a game and a half on the Cardinals and the Brewers in the wild card race. You look behind the Cardinals, it's the Giants who would be out of the playoffs as of today, as would the Phillies, although they're only two and a half games back now. There's going to be a really good team that misses out on the playoffs for this year from the National League. Which goes back to my point of when you're playing poor teams, you have to win those games. You have to win those series and you have to sweep three out of four, two out of three, and you have to take care of that business because those are the things that are going to keep you from being in the postseason if you are not competing well against poor teams.
And it adds to the importance of we were talking about this in the office before the show began. I mean, you got the Phillies coming up here right right when July starts. I think it's three or four on the road, and you get three or four at home against the Phillies uh, within like four days apart between each other. So that is going to be a crucial series because that's going to be your tiebreaker right there is going head to head against those teams. Right. But yeah, to Kerry's point, I mean, you just got to take care of business against these uh, below five hundred teams. Yeah. I mean, you look at the rest of these divisions. I mean, you look at the NL West. There's three solid teams. You look at the NL East. There's three solid teams. Honestly, I'd say Miami. They're not solid, but they're decent. I mean, the Cardinals have the easiest division, so they have to be racking up these games against the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Reds, because if you don't do that, last year that was the difference in the NL Central. This year it could be the difference between not only the NL Central, but you making possibly just the playoffs as a whole. Yeah, in the next three weeks, I mean, it's going to tell you everything you need to know about the Cardinals. You're going to watch them against a terrible team with the Cubs (laughs) this weekend. But then you've got Miami to finish out the homestand. Mm. You go to Philadelphia. You've got four at home against, or on the road against Atlanta. Then you've got four more at home against Philly. And then three at home against L.A. with the Dodgers coming to town. By June, July 14th, you're going to know everything you need right. to about the Cardinals. You, you'll have a pretty good feel for where they're at. And that the nice thing about it is that'll give the front office everything they need to know about how they should add once you get to closer to the trade deadline. Alongside Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 15 minutes or so, are the Blues ready to move on from Vladimir Tarasenko? I think the answer to that is no, but fans are completely split on it. And we'll tell you how that uh, voting came in over on The Athletic coming up at 1 o'clock. The junk drawer, though, is coming up next, including something Amazon's doing. Uh, man, I want no part of this. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. I like using this quote it's from a cinematic masterpiece called Jurassic Park. All right. It said, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. <laughs> now, Carrie, I think that applies to something that Amazon is doing right now with Alrighty. Alexa. I don't know if you saw this story, but according to the Associated Press, Amazon's Alexa could soon mimic the voice of your own dead relatives. Oh, no, thank you. So you could say, <laughs> no, for example, thank you. Alexa, please let grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And your grandmother, who passed away, this is a sweet story, of course, five years ago, could then read The Wizard of Oz to your child, for example. So so what happens at 3 a.m. when Alexa is going haywire and you hear voices (laughs) that you know you've known from the past that are no longer here? Do you just assume that or or do you feel like something bad is about to happen in my home? No, thank you. I'll pass. I respect what they're trying to do here. I get it completely. Imagine imagine being a little kid. You're 12 years old. Something horrible happens. Your parents both pass away in a car wreck and you have a voicemail. And the way that this works is apparently they could listen to that voicemail and then recreate the voice based upon that voicemail. So you can still hear your parents' voices after they've passed as a young kid. I, I get how for some people... That would be helpful. I understand what they're trying to do here. I want no part of it. I would absolutely say no, no part of it. I don't need to be woken up in the morning 
by my grandpa passed away last year. Yes. I don't need to be woken up by my grandpa's voice. <laughs> I don't need that in my life. And we love our family members that have passed on, but I, I think that that's just, it's a, it's, it might be a bit much. and maybe overwhelming. I, I think going into it, you may think it's going to be the best thing ever. And then you get to a point where, you know, you may be really talking to Alexa, trying to get some information, and there is none to be given from the person on the other side. I will say, like, it's kind of cool that you could have it be any voice. Like if, you, if I could have just like Morgan Freeman yeah. that being would be the nice. voice of my Alexa, that would be nice. I get that. <laughs> I, I can see how that would appeal to people. But there are there are definitely some unintended consequences, as yeah. there are with anything uh, with technology that I just don't feel like I need to cross yeah. that path. I just saw the new Jurassic Park, by the way. It was pretty good. I heard it was it terrible. Good? I liked I was it. Say, I, I started got bad reviews. <laughs> I, I thought it was okay. Did you see the new Top Gun? I, that was amazing. Incredible. It was, it, I was in my, oh, what, oh, okay. It, that was a very, ending, very you oh, did, I didn't I know. I was what, like, I yeah, know what's going to happen here. No yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, nothing was, there for you. It but was amazing. It I was, was at the good. edge of my seat I the entire well. time. Yeah, I like the Jurassic Park, though. Was, I took the kids. They enjoyed it. Is, is there any other movies from when you were a kid that you would want to, want to see them make a new version of? Because oh. I feel like we're just doing that now, right? Like, yeah, hey, was yeah. this a hit 30 years ago? Let's, Let's do go another ahead one. and remake it now. Or you find a character to make a spinoff of, like Buzz Lightyear. Oh, yeah. They did have that. They do have that out. I didn't get to see that. I, I the reviews look good. Every preview that I see looks terrible. Really, I I kind of want to see. Toy Story was amazing. Toy Story was tremendous. Even as an adult, Toy Story is is good this to is watch. This is like the prequel. <laughs> is that what I, I, yeah, I, I don't really. It's like the origin story of Buzz Lightyear, yeah. and I I don't know, man. I'll I'll go see it eventually. I saw Spider Man No Way Home too. I was flying. That was tremendous. That was very very good. I I, I won't say anything, but I, I really enjoyed Spider Man No Way Home. That's one of my favorites that I've seen Although recently. Although that's been out for a while, it's probably a spoiler alert. Probably not really any spoilers. What's your What's your rule on that? Like, if you're talking with I a mean, friend, if we are like six months in, and you haven't seen it yet. That's more of a you problem than a me problem. I feel like that on TV shows, especially. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like movies. If you didn't have time to go out to the movie theater and you're waiting for it to come out, yeah. you got like that three month yeah. transition period before it comes out on DVD TV or whatever. Show, if it's a TV show and you're talking about it the next day, you have an issue. You have an issue. Like there is something. You, you should talk to someone because it's extremely disrespectful because everyone may not have seen it the but night before. after that season is out, like, yeah, like, like, if it's something that drops all at once, you've got a month. Yeah. I heard and somebody, after that month, you don't have it done. I heard somebody saying they didn't want to give spoiler alerts for Game of Thrones. And I'm like, if you, uh, hey, at this I, point, I, and, and it's on I you. Just hey, be fair, it. I just caught up on I that. Just so I would have been upset. You're not by yourself. I just watched it. But if somebody would have told me, I wouldn't be like, hey, don't tell me it. Most people have seen it. Some people do that with like the Sopranos. Yeah. It's like, hey, yes. what, what are we doing here? That was 20 <laughs> years ago. Like, I, Tanner was born when the Sopranos came out. I think that we could give the spoilers at this point in time. To. Alongside Kerry Davis, he's a Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, who would you say has been the most irreplaceable Cardinal this year? One website has their not for them and he's ranked among the top 10 in the national league we'll tell you who that is coming up at 115 and give our answers but next are we really about to see the blues move on from vladimir tarasenko i think the answer to the organization for that would be no but fans are very much split on it according to a new poll that was released by jeremy rutherford we'll give you the results coming up next year on 101 espn we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
some news from the Cardinals. They have placed a pitcher on the injured list. Hmm. If I gave Cardinals fans a guess right now, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you had to guess a Cardinals pitcher who was placed on the injured list today, who would you guess that it was after <laughs> yesterday? Three, two, one. If your guess was Drew Verhagen, <laughs> yeah, you are one hundred percent correct. According to the Cardinals' official team Twitter account, he has been placed on the fifteen-day IL with a quote-unquote right shoulder impingement. Oh, the classic. There you go. Otherwise known as that dude ain't throwing strikes. We got to get somebody who can. <laughs> uh, Packy Naughton has been recalled from Memphis, so the Cardinals add another lefty to the bullpen. I mean. There had to be some kind of a resolution to this. It feels kind of Brett Cecily, where I don't know if he's hurt or not. Maybe he is. And maybe that's why yesterday it looked as bad as it did, because it was worse yesterday than it had been most of the year. Let's be honest. But I mean, they, they this was the most likely resolution maybe is we're going to pay you to not pitch for us for right now. A little bit of both. A time you, you have a little soreness. Maybe mentally we can, can get you some time to, to take a break and, and get away from it for, for a few days. Uh, and and we can bring someone up here that can <laughs> help us in the in the long run in the short and term period as well. Yeah, they they needed some innings. They've got a guy now that at least like say what you will about Packy Naughton. Big old donut when he comes out of the bullpen. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the guy tends to throw strikes, so I'll I'll go ahead and we we'll, we can give him a shot right now. There so he's going to be part of the team for this Cubs series, and you don't have to worry about watching Drew Verhagen pitch, which honestly is a good thing for all of our health. With Kerry Davis, he's a Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we'll talk about the most irreplaceable Cardinal this season. But Jeremy Rutherford over on The Athletic put together a poll for Blues fans. He ended up getting more than 2,500 results on this. So a lot okay. of people were a part of this. And he asked them a bunch of questions, including things like, is the Blue Stanley Cup window still open? And if so, for how long? Um, what do you expect this offseason? So on and so forth, right? The, the typical questions that we're all thinking about as the Blues go into the offseason. So he asked a few that I found to be really interesting in terms of what the results were. The first one that stood out to me was very simple. Should the Blues keep Vladimir Tarasenko or should they trade him this offseason? There was... Nothing more to the question. It was just very simple. Black or white, there wasn't a keep him as long as you can't upgrade or right. trade him if you can get it, Matthew Kachuk, whatever. 50% exactly said that the Blues should keep him. He's way too valuable for the team. And 50% exactly said trade him while his stock is still high. I tend to lean on the side of keep him. Now, mm -hmm. if I could put a disclaimer in here, if you can get Matthew Kachuk, who scored 40 goals last year, sure, go get Matthew Kachuk, and that would require you to make the move for, for the salary cap purposes to trade Vladimir Tarasenko as well. But barring something like that taking place, I think you've got to keep Vladimir Tarasenko because there's nobody else that can produce that kind of goal-scoring production from this current team. And that's the point I was going to make. If you get rid of your best player, your best goal scorer, your best uh, uh, guy, what do you do? Where do those points come from? Where do those goals come from? Where does that, that, that creativeness come from if you don't have him on the ice? And so I, I don't think you can just get rid of a guy without having a plan in place for someone to, to come in and kind of take over that role, it, it, it's tough to lose your best player. And, and it's tough when that best player at one point says they don't want to be here or they want out. That, that makes it tough as well. But all things can be can, can come back together and be worked on and, and the relationship can be mended if both parties want to mend it and make it better and, and make sure that everyone stays in, in, in the same spot. I would say keep them. 
Like I said, because it's tough to find a guy that can do what he does. So I, I wouldn't want no I wouldn't want him to leave unless I knew for sure those fifty percent that say, Yeah, get rid of him and not know who's coming back. Eh? That's the tough part. What is what am I getting in return? You may be assuming you're getting something, but maybe you don't. Are so. the blues signing Johnny Goudreau? Like, okay. Johnny Goudreau, that sounds great. Uh, but if they're replacing Vladimir Tarasenko with like Andre Palat, who's a really solid player, but scores like 15 to 20 goals a year. That's more like the Jaden short. He, mm-hmm. You're basically getting this year's version of Brandon sod, which is a solid player, but there does come a point in time where you've just got a lot of guys that are solid. Right. And if you don't have those elite level skill players, I don't think you can win at you, the you, highest. of you levels. Have to have, I mean, it's not, this isn't uh you know, in professional sports, you have to have elite players multiple is is better i I think about like the nba you know there there's this thing where you you have two or three hall of famers you're going to win a championship or put yourself in position to win one if you just got one guy or if you have no guys you probably have no chance so you need to have that one guy and preferably two to to take over their role and make sure you are able to win those games yeah and just the cookie cutter of do do you move vladdy or not without me knowing that return i can't move vladimir tarasenko but we tried to come up with the list of guys that did, I think it was last week we said, okay, well, if you move Vladdy, who are the guys that you can realistic, realistically replace him with and get that production or better? And it's like two guys. So I, I, I can't see the scenario which you move on from Vladimir Tarasenko. I get it. They have depth of scoring, but you also have to have that elite kind of player that can take that next step and take his game to the next level, especially when it comes to playoffs. And I know we were talking about this in the office, BK, of like, okay, well, did Vladdy really show up in the playoffs? I mean, he did have, I think it was nine points in the playoffs. He had six goals, and I think it was two or three assists that were on top of that. So you need those kind of guys on your team. Sure, depth of scoring is nice to have, but you do need someone that is kind of that go-to guy. And Vladdy, when he is right and playing at at the level we saw this year, he can be that guy where you can just say, okay, we need a goal. Let's go put Vladimir Tarasenko on the ice, get him the puck, and he can create something with a shot, use his strength, get to the front of the net. He's just one of those players. So I'm stunned to see Blues fans saying, just without even having an idea of what could be coming back whether it be in the trade or you just replacing him with a Kachuk saying yeah I think it's time for the Blues to move on from him with one year left on his contract and Kerry you mentioned the basketball comparison mm-hmm. this is what I come back to is like in basketball if you've got for 40 45 minutes or so a bunch of guys that can score that's great right in crunch time who's making your shot Who who's taking yeah. that big time yeah. shot and that's Vladimir Tarasenko yeah. like when it all comes down to it in big time games you, you need that guys that are guy. going to perform. Yeah. And Ryan O'Reilly is on that level. I, David Perron, we have seen elevate his game in the playoffs. You can't just have a couple of them, though. Right. You've got to have three, four-plus options to be able to be that guy for you in big games. And Vladimir Tarasenko has been that. He has been a playoff performer in his career. You go back to 2019, the Blues don't win the Cup if Vladimir Tarasenko isn't a part of that squad and you just replace him with somebody that's a solid goal scorer. So... If you're going to move on from him this offseason, I think there is a a plan that has to be in place to replace that production. And I don't see a whole lot of options available this offseason that could do that other than Kachuk and maybe you could argue David Posternock. And even he goes about it a little bit differently than, than Vladimir Tarasenko. And I would worry a little bit about the overlap with Jordan Cairo, but he's really good. So whatever, you could make that work. The other question that he asked, JR did over on The Athletic that I found interesting which of these scenarios do you think is most likely to happen in the offseason? Trade for Kachuk, 
trade for Jacob Chikrin, Arizona's defenseman, trade for Philadelphia defenseman Ivan Provorov, or you have all of Tarasenko, Perron, and Nick Letty re-signed this offseason and back on the roster. So basically, you stand pat with the team that you had at the end of last year. 55% of Blues fans took the last option of, we're going to run it back. We're going to bring yeah. the whole core back together. Tarasenko's back. You re-signed David Perron. Nick Letty, who was traded for at the deadline, we're going to bring him back as well, and we're going we're gonna to see what this can do next year. 25% said trade for Jacob Chikrin. That's the one that I would say is probably at the top of my list. 15% said trade for Ivan Provorov. Not sure how likely he is specifically, but a defenseman like him, I could see that. And then only 5% said the most realistic scenario, the most likely scenario is trading for Matthew Kachuk this offseason. I, I was surprised by that, Tanner. I thought that there would be more than 5% of the responses that say, ah, the thing that is most likely to happen is the guy from St. Louis ends up coming home to play for the note. Yeah, I I was shocked by just how low the percentage is. I I thought it may finish around the third place mark on this, just because I think a lot of Blues fans say, well, don't trade up a bunch of assets on this team to go get Matthew Chuck, because a lot of Blues fans say, well, you can just sign him next offseason, which we all agree that seems like a dangerous method to go about it, because maybe he gets traded to, let's say, Dallas, for example, and then they just offer him what he wants in his contract, and he signs his extension. I I would be stunned if the Blues decided to get the band back together and run it all the way back. And by saying that, it's mostly kind of the Nick Letty one because it doesn't feel like a Doug Armstrong offseason by just saying, let's bring the whole band back together. Even though, even if the Blues, they were a really good team. There's no doubt about it. If they don't run into Colorado, they're probably still playing. If Bennington doesn't get hurt, they could still be playing in the Stanley Cup final, in my opinion. Even though this team was really good this year and finished with what was the third highest point percentage in franchise history, it's not a Doug Armstrong move to just sit back and go with the flow. There's clearly a hole on this team, and that hole is left-handed defenseman. And if that means it costs the Blues a couple of assets to go get a Jacob Chickern, I'm with you. That, to me, seems like the most uh, the one that seems most probable of these four for the Blues to go do. I just can't imagine Doug Armstrong. He's such an aggressive general manager. I can't imagine him just saying, let's bring the band back together and this team will make the next step and go to the Stanley Cup next year. So if you were to uh, go after Matthew Kachuk and he's in his final year, that would be enticing for 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 him to be traded and and to re-sign here yeah. as opposed to waiting like you said to free agency and him not him having him having the option to choose or pick and choose wherever he wanted to go. I think in most sports, when guys are on their last year of their contract, that's the ideal time to get in and get them because you can get them in, see what you, see, they can see what you have to offer, and now they're there for that time frame, whether it's six months, whether it's a full year, and, and decide, hey, I love it here. I would love to come back. I'm going to resign with this franchise. And then you have your, your, your Tarasenko. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a, a trade where you can move him and, and bring uh, Kachuk in. Now you don't have the goal-scoring issue that you would have if you just get rid of Tarasenko without anything to replace him. Man, it's it, it's going to be such an interesting offseason for the Blues. I I tend to I think that the most likely like if I was answering this for myself and not for Blues fans I would say my most likely would be trading for Jacob Chikrin. I would say the least likely of these to me at least would be Tarasenko, Perron, and Letty are all back next year. I, agree. I would be really surprised if they end up just running it back with the team that they had at the end of the year. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to play a game of one's got to go. You'll give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. I believe it's the first time that we've played this with Kerry oh. Davis in yes. studios. We're looking forward <laughs> to that. Coming up next, though, who is the most irreplaceable Cardinal this season? Fangraphs have their option. We'll tell you who our nominees are coming up next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's won a Super Bowl. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's been a blast to have Kerry Davis in studio with us once again. It's been way too long. Happy to have him in until 2 o'clock. Coming up in about 10 minutes, play a game of one's got to go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four options, and we will tell you which one's got to go. So Fangraphs, the last couple of days, went through their list of the 10 most irreplaceable players in both the American League and the National League. So yesterday, their National League list came out at number one on their list was Corbin Burns for the Milwaukee Brewers. That makes some sense. We just saw what he was able to do against the Cardinals. And if he goes down at this point, they got nothing left in that rotation, but you keep going. Matt Olson was up there. Zach Wheeler for the Phillies, Fernando Tatis Jr. for the Padres, et cetera, et cetera. At number seven, or excuse me, at number eight is when you get to the first Cardinal on the list. And it's Nolan Arenado. Mm-hmm. I found this to be interesting. Here was their explanation. Similar to Tampa Bay, St. Louis ranks really highly in this exercise, but their projections have been much less excited about the team's depth this year than they have been in previous years. I disagree with that assessment for what it's worth, but they're still not giving up hope on Paul DeYoung. They think there is a scenario in which he could still start at shortstop if Tommy Edmond were to go down. So that's why Tommy Edmond is not their pick for the most irreplaceable player. So again, they went with Nolan Arenado. Carrie, hmm. who would you have? You've watched <laughs> this team all year long. You're not just going by the numbers. Who would yeah. you have as the Cardinals' most irreplaceable player in I 2022? Go the, I go by this old thing called the eye test, and uh, there's a guy that uh, hits the ball pretty well, gets on base a lot, uh, drives in a, a, a large number of runs, and uh, plays first base. We're going to go with Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, I, the guy that leads the yeah, league I, in batting average, on base percentage, and, slugging and percentage, hits. and OPS. You keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> Run him down. And, and, and you said zero errors at first base. Yeah. I, I, I would go with him. I think the eye, eyeball test would tell me that he's the, the most Irreplaceable, irreplaceable player on that team. Yeah, I'm with Kerry. I, I think it's Paul Goldschmidt because I, if you were to take Paul Goldschmidt out of the lineup, look, you still have Nolan Arenado, but Nolan Arenado, since the first month when he got really hot and looked like the MVP favorite in that first month, and then I put money he, on him. My bad. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Nolan. Well, <laughs> That's on me. I'll take the blame. But, but, but Nolan Arenado hasn't been that same player since that first month. You've seen little spurts of it, like he got hot in that Red Sox series. He looks and like he, he played, might be getting hot again. Yeah, he's getting close. It looks like to being back to that form. But he seems to be going through those. He has those ups and downs. Paul Goldschmidt has not really had the ups and downs. He was down at the beginning of the month, or excuse me, the first month of the season, but even that wasn't even really down. I mean, that was Paul Goldschmidt you just knew was going to take off at some point. And honestly, I don't know if you have somebody even close to the defensive ability of Paul Goldschmidt. I know the advanced metrics aren't real high on him yet this year, but Kerry mentioned it, zero errors from him. And I and I think a good first baseman prevents a ton of errors around the infield. Yeah. And you look at the guys that would replace him defensively, uh, if you didn't have Paul Goldschmidt, you'd be looking at Donovan, who I think is okay at first base. Yepes, he's, he's okay at first base. And then you look at uh, Albert Pujols, he's just not the same when he was in his prime. And I think Goldie is just better defensively than what Albert was in his prime. And I, I've heard BT say that, and I, I agree with him 100% percent he just provides everything he's got good speeds he has baseball smarts when it comes to running the bases he's just an incredible hitter as you listed off all his accolades so far this year I don't think there's anybody that you could replace Paul Goldschmidt with on this team so I think you guys are right I think that's the correct answer I, I would not go Nolan although like obviously Nolan Arenado is is not a bad answer he's no. an unbelievable he's not the right answer I think Goldie is the right one <laughs> I 
do have one other player, though, that I would throw into the mix. And I think I could actually make an argument that he is more irreplaceable, even Van Nolan Arenado, for this specific team. I'm not saying better. Okay. This does not mean he's a better player, but more irreplaceable for this Cardinals team, especially right now. Miles Michaelis. Miles Michaelis, with what he's done so far this season, leads your team in innings pitched. He's at 88 innings so far this season. I know what I'm getting every single time Miles Michaelis goes out onto the mound. I feel like every time he goes on the mound, I expect six innings, giving up two or fewer runs. That's what he's been all year long, basically. And if I don't have that at the front end of my rotation, and I would say so far this year, he's been your number one starter. And that's not a shot against Wayno. It's not a shot against anybody else. He's been one of the better pitchers in the National League. So it's not just the Cardinals. That's for everybody in the National League that he's been that. I, I, I don't know that I would have a whole lot of faith that the Cardinals could pick up the slack in the rotation. Because then you're starting in consecutive days, Dakota Hudson, Andre Pallante, and then Matthew Liberator. Or Johan Oviedo or Jake Woodford. Like I, I don't like the way that that current that, that would end up setting up. So I would say Miles Michaelis is also in the discussion of most irreplaceable Cardinals this season. Where does Tommy Edmond fit at on that list? High, 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 top five, top three. I mean, you just gave me. You said Nolan. We said Paul. We said Miles Michaelis. Is he? Is he? Who's your backup shortstop right now? Sadly, Paul DeYoung. Uh, so, so he's he's top four. I'd say he's top three. I would put him ahead of Miles Michaelis. Would you? And and the only reason I would put him ahead of Michaelis is I agree with your assessment. Miles has been the best pitcher for the Cardinals, and he's been carrying the workhorse for them. But in my opinion, you still have Adam Wainwright who could do it. You saw him do it last year, and he's only got, I think it's four innings less than Miles Michaelis so far this year, four and two-thirds less, and he's given up, I think it's four or five more extra earned runs than what Miles has. Wainwright, sometimes when you look at him pitch, it does take him a while to find the stuff to get going, mm-hmm. but he can be the workhorse for the right. Cardinals if he had to, like you saw last year. If you don't have Wainwright on that team last year, he was arguably the most indispensable Definitely. Cardinal last year because you don't have him. You're not even talking about the Cardinals needing the seven. It would have been like a 30-game winning streak to get to the playoffs. Uh, but I, I view Tommy Edmond because he's so versatile. It allowed them to call up their top prospect in Nolan Gorman and give him everyday playing opportunities, right. and he's able to fill the hole in which was shortstop. I mean, now we're not even talking about Sander Bogarts right now at the trade deadline. You asked me before they moved Edmund over to shortstop, I would have said they need to go fit that hole, give up a ton of assets, right. and go and acquire a Xander Bogarts to fill that hole. They don't need to do that now. They they can play Gorman at second base. They can put Edmund at shortstop. And heck, if worse comes to worse, he's versatile enough to where if you had to, you could put Edmund in the outfield if you ran out of depth outfield-wise too. So I think he's number two on the list just ahead of Miles Michaelis. It's a good point. He's also your yeah. leadoff hitter. He gets yeah. on base. He's hitting for more power this year than he has previously. His left-handed swing looks much better. It, He's definitely up there. I think I would probably go Goldie one. I think probably Edmund too, honestly, because of the value that he gives you at shortstop and the versatility that he brings to the table as well. I think I would go Michaelis three and it's not like to your point on Wayno. It's less about him and more about who's replacing Michaelis because like if you replace Michaelis with, let's say it's Liberator. I don't know what you're getting on those starts. It could be two innings. It could be right. four innings. The high end is you probably get five innings out of him. <laughs> and now the bullpen is just going to be fried. Right. You already feel that way sometimes coming off of back-to-back days with uh, Palante and Hudson. Imagine if you put a third day in there right. where you've got to have a long man. It, it's tough. So that that would probably be my top three is Goldie, 
Edmund, and then Michael is number three. You, you mentioned Palante. Would you put him top five? I, he would be top five for me this no, year. No, just because, I, I mean, I've still got to have Arenado in there somewhere. I've still got to have Wayno in there somewhere. I, I think you could make an argument for some of the guys that are more important defensively. So like you look at the outfield, whether it be O'Neal, I know people will laugh, but Bader, what he does for you defensively in center field, it just changes everything about that outfield. So I would not have him that high, but he's been obviously huge for what they've done. I would put him at at five on my list just because I, I mean, I don't think you, he does. He saved your bullpen this so far this year when he was in the bullpen, and now he's saving you by t- eating up innings. We'll see what he looks like tonight against the Cubs. I mean, the fact of the matter that he shoved against the Boston Red Sox and threw I don't remember what it was eighty some pitches and covered like five and a third innings pitch, and was trying to get through the sixth inning. Hey, he's taken on the role that the Cardinals envisioned Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks originally having this year, where it was going to be that mid-relief guy that could come in, bridge the gap, be effective out of the bullpen, and then if you needed him, he could be that spot starter. He's taken on that role, and to me, that puts him at number five on my list. He's Kerry Davis, Super Bowl champion. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We got a text six five seven eight zero zero cover service text line from the three one four. I really like this new guy. Who is he? He's Kerry Davis, <laughs> one of the best in the business. We always love having him in here. Uh, check him out always on Twitter, Kerry Davis. What is your Twitter account? Kerry Davis thirty eight. C A R E Y thirty eight. Check yes. him out on Twitter as well. Coming up in ten minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. We're going to get back into our conversation we had earlier today about the Cubs Cardinals rivalry. But next, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options, we'll tell you which one's got to go here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. Give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. It is the game we like to play called One's Gotta Go. Let's start out with this one. One Gotta Go, 4th of July edition, Carrie. Okay. The barbecuing, going to a pool, watching fireworks, or going to the lake. Which one's got to go? Barbecue, going to the pool, watching fireworks, going to the lake. I mean, you got to watch fireworks. It's 4th of July. Pool and, and lake can one of those are gonna have to go because I mean your water is involved. Uh, let's say let's say pool. I, I mean if we're gonna go if we have an option to go to the lake, let's go to the lake and let's leave the pool out. See, I gotta get rid of the fireworks. I really what? I don't really care about watching stuff explode. <laughs> Tanner says Christmas one's gotta go. Get rid of the presents. The, the presents is what we're getting rid of. I, I don't get excited. The it's whole like crescendo hey, you wanna, of the day. Yeah, you wanna go watch fireworks? Nah, I'd rather not watch something explode. I, I can understand that. I, it things. just doesn't excite me. I'm yeah. I'm out on fireworks. BK. One's got to go Easter edition. Tanner's getting rid of the Easter egg hunt. Hey, you're the guy getting rid of pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's uh, trash. Uh, one's got to go. It's got to be the lake. The lake's got to go. Really? Yeah, I would rather be in a pool. Really? Okay. Lake, lake. I mean, so when I think of lake, I'm thinking we're on jet skis and we're out. Like we're not I'm thinking just, of Lake of the Ozarks where if you get on a jet ski in the middle of this, into somebody. It, the main channel, it's over. <laughs> it's not it's over. It's not good for anybody. So I'm going with the lake. Uh, one's got to go sports drama. You win the title by doing blank. So your final moments of the game, you're about to win their respective sport. 
by either A, a last second field goal, B, a last second free throw, C, a 20 foot putt to win, let's say the Masters or whatever, or the fourth option, penalty shot in overtime for hockey. The free throw's got to go. I, I, I mean, there's no, if you're a professional even a collegiate basketball player, you should be money at the free throw line with no one in front of you. So free throw has to go. There's no, there's no real stress there. Twenty foot putt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm with Kerry. I, I gotta get rid of the free throw because it, it's free. It's free. The it's 20, in the title. Yeah, the twenty foot, twenty foot putt <laughs> is tough. The field goal is gonna be difficult because you got guys coming at you full speed, especially yes. on the last second one. And then uh, with the the penalty shootout, I mean, you talk about intense. You got a, basically a mind game of how am I gonna beat this guy? How's he? How patient is he gonna be right. to try and wait me out and beat me? I gotta get rid of the free throw. If you switched it from a last second free throw to like a twenty seven footer. All right, now we're yeah, talking. Now we're, yeah, now maybe we're maybe that changes things a oh, little yeah. bit. But it, yeah. with a free throw being the one, yeah, that's got to be the one that's going. All right, one's got to go. Senses edition. Your sense of sight, oh. sense of smell, taste, or ability to hear. Seeing, tasting, smelling, or hearing. Which one's got to go? Ooh. Hey, man, we didn't say it was easy choices. <laughs> Taste, smell, hear, and what was the last one? Eyesight. 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 Well, I got it. I, I, I need to taste, obviously. I want I want to. There's no point in not. I lost my sense of taste was, for. Was, well, how bad was it? Month or smell was worse. Really? So I think it might sound crazy. I'm going to go with eyesight. Really? <laughs> yeah. He can hear. I can he hear. He can smell. He can taste. I, I you can't just see. can't see. Because <laughs> the reason why they say when you lose, you know, certain things, the other things become more enhanced. It would be tough to coach football at that it point. It would be. I would have to retire. <laughs> but, I mean, it would be tough to not hear. I could coach football and not taste or smell, but, you know, I can't do all the other things I'd like to do in life. It's a good point. eating food and, you know, hearing things, music. So, See, I would probably get rid of smell because I want to be able to, like, you make a good meal. I want to be able to taste it. If I don't smell it, I think I could get away with it. But I need to see it. I, I want to hear because I, I like I would listen to music. I taste over said. smell, man. You, you, really? you don't know. I think if you crazy. lose your smell, like, you can't smell anything. I think that is, is awful. You don't know if you, you, did I put deodorant on today or not? I don't. <laughs> Everybody else walking by, you're like, yeah, you did well, not. I, I will know because know. I'll be able to see their reaction. <laughs> It's funny, man. When I had COVID, I lost my sense of smell. I was like, everything feels different. Everything. And and at first, I didn't realize it. And then you notice that you don't smell anything. And then it's just, it's over. Yeah. So that's, I I would get rid of my sense of taste. I I can't do the no sight, no smell, no hearing. I would rather have no sense of taste. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for one's got to go. One got to go days of the week edition. Monday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So the weekend, basically, or Mondays. I feel like that one's easy. That's Monday. Yeah, get that the hell out of here. <laughs> Mondays suck. We can have. What we if can... we replaced Monday with Thursday? Man, Thursday is like. Thursdays are nice. I like yeah, Thursdays. Yeah. Yeah. You're almost to the weekend, and then Sundays. The beginning of it is great, but then you've got the you grind get, of yeah, yeah. yeah. going to go. go back to work for yeah. the entire week. I would say Sundays in that case. I think I would still Sundays say Thursday. That's, that's football during the football that, yeah, season. Football, I, I, that's what I went to. I, when I said Monday, I was like, well, no Monday night football, but we can move it to another night. I'm going to say, I, I would still say Thursday. 
See, I would say Sunday just because of that dread of, you know, having to get back into the, the go, preparing for Monday in itself. Yeah. And then, like, especially, like, if you're traveling, like, if you go home for a weekend and it's three hours away, Sunday stinks because then you just yeah, dread packing up and then <laughs> coming back. I get it. I'm missing out on football, but I got college football on Saturday, yeah. so I can live with it. I'd right. probably go Thursdays, but it's close. It's, it's a tough one. All right, last one here. One's got to go breakfast edition. Pancakes, waffles, biscuits and gravy, or French toast? Pancakes, waffles, biscuits, and gravy, or French toast? Carrie, what you got here? I'm going to go waffles, and I don't think it's that hard. I think it's pretty easy. I, I, I'd i rather have a f- nice fluffy pancake than to have my waffles a little bit crunchy and syrup in different pockets. I, I just... I like my syrup to spill over the over the plate, so I can <laughs> dip my my pancake in it as I'm as I'm eating. So yeah, we're gonna go waffles. I don't I don't I'm not a fan of the little pockets. Yeah, I, I'm with Carrie on this one. I think I'd have to get rid of the waffles. I, I love biscuits and gravy. French yes. toast is great. I'm with you on the pancake thing, yeah. I, and I don't really want. I don't know why, but breakfast when I like first wake up, I don't want like to really fight my food, yeah. and, and it'd be real crunchy and having to <laughs> cut it up and all the that. Waffles. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get rid of the wrong places for your waffles. I, I'm getting rid of pancakes here. Really? Yeah. I, I I think that you guys are absolutely correct on biscuits and gravy and French toast. Those are staples. We're not yes. getting rid of those. And there's so many different ways that you can go about making them with different styles. I we got to keep those. It's between pancakes and waffles, the surface area on the waffle allows for so much more so many more opportunities <laughs> you ever had a waffle with peanut butter on it Ugh, add I'm that gross. to some I of the i don't think i have oh. Oh. that doesn't even sound it's good life changing i'm telling you man you've got more waffles with you can do the the fruit compote on the t- oh. there's some opportunities with waffles that just don't exist there with pancakes i'm going with pancakes got to be the you, one that's got to go you can't so with pancakes you can do chocolate chip you can blueberry. You can do all that with with you. it's on top. It's not inside. That's fair. And there lies the difference. Yeah. <laughs> with Carrie Davis and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Earlier today, we had some good conversations. We talked with Tim Dillard, who is a broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. We also caught up with Jesse Rogers, previewing the Cardinals versus the Cubs series. So check that out over on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. Coming up next, we're getting back into the discussion we had earlier today. Would it be better this weekend if the Cubs were good and this was a series that really had stakes on the line for both teams? Talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Carrie Davis back in studio with us today. If you missed anything from the show, Carrie Davis, Super Bowl champion, native St. Louis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go back to what we started with today, which is uh, the Cubs and Cardinals series. Now, the Cubs stink. We talked earlier today with Jesse Rogers, and he said the only thing they're playing for at this point is tryouts for 2023. Like they're yeah. looking for who's going to help them in the future, and it's probably not going to include some of their best players like Wilson Contreras, who's likely to be traded at the deadline. I said earlier I still believe this to be true. 
I wish that the Cubs were better. I don't, I don't wish that they were great. I don't want them to become the Dodgers or the Mets. I don't need that in my life. I wish they were better because then there's real stakes on the line for both teams going into this weekend. Whereas going into this weekend, the only team that's looking at this and really trying to win or lose for anything that means anything is the Cardinals. I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. I, I believe that if a team is down, you keep them down. Especially if it's the Cubs, you kick them while they're down and you don't let them up. <laughs> you just allow them to stay miserable and you don't, we don't want any part of, I personally don't want them to have, to feel any success. Continue to feel miserable, continue to lose games. And yeah, they agree with me. Whatever that sound was above <laughs> there was us. something rolling above <laughs> us and we're on the top floor, so I don't know what that means. Uh, but yeah, I, I would I would want them to to not have success and not do well. And, you know, I'm a Cardinals fan. I want us to. Well, what are you be, trying to say here? Well, I, no, I'm not saying anything. I'm not <laughs> so implying anything. He's a Royals fan. You can say it. <laughs> I just want them to, to to continue to beat up on them and you know treat them like the little brothers that they are. Yeah, see, I, I'm kind of in agreement with BK. I, I would like to see the Cubs, not at the Mets or Dodgers level, but I would like to see them just a little bit better, be at a competing level to where the rivalry feels a little bit more fun. I, I kid you not when I say this, I have no interest in this weekend series between the Cardinals and the Cubs. I, if, if I weren't working here, I'm not sure I would watch a single game of it yeah. because the Cardinals should just beat up on the team. There's no talent if, on that Cubs team. What if they don't? Well, then what I'll be panicking when I, show, when I show up on Monday. It's gonna be fun because I'm gonna be in panic mode. But I, I, I just have, I have no, I don't really look forward to these kind of series because you should take care of business. And then, like, if Kerry said, if something goes wrong, then then it's a little bit more fun in a the bad. The only sense. thing you can learn about your team this weekend is something bad. Yeah, like you, I can't learn <laughs> that the Cardinals are a good team this weekend. We you know they're pretty no, solid. What you can learn is you can learn if they have that killer instinct because when That's you good point. are when you are the better team. You should beat the hell out of teams that are not good, and and it should not be close. It should not be fun for the opposing for the opponent. It should be a, a, a butt kicking from start to finish, and and everyone that is involved should know that this is going to take place. And when you line it up, it's going to take place again and again and again and again. So that's where you can start to build that that killer mindset for a team that you expect to to have championship goals. And I will say. That's actually something I don't know about this team just yet. Now, I know that they're never out of a game. We have seen them fight back time and time and time again, and they have really good players. I think this is going to be, by the end of the season, a very good team. We haven't really seen them go on a stretch where it's like seven straight games that they win in a row, or like you get to the third game of a series where you've won the first two, and you're going for that sweep, and yeah. you just beat the hell out of them. We haven't really seen that. So far the, this that, year, the from mindset the of of finishing the deal and and letting the team know uh, uh, opposing from you to know this is who we are. We're going to be this way. We're going to continue to be this way. And and other opponents know. Okay, they do have that in them. They are not going to let off the gas just because the team is not good. They're going to beat the hell out of them and show them that they don't belong on the field with them. Hey, the 101 ESPN app is loaded with a ton of awesome giveaways this month. If you already have it, check out the reward section. You'll see all the giveaways over there. You might have a chance to win $1,000 in cash, a portable Traeger grill, a rolling Yeti cooler, a solo stove, a signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey. There's so much more over there. Check it all out on the 101 ESPN app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, do it today. Get registered to win. It's all a part of our app madness this month. Help us beat 105.7 The Point in the Rizzuto Show. Be sure to check out the 101 ESPN app. Kerry, it's always great to have you in, man. Thanks so much for hopping in with us today. We'll have Alex Ferrario back in studio with us on Monday at 11 a.m. Coming up from 2 to 6, it is the fast lane. Have a great week in St. Louis. Hopefully the Cardinals are able to take care of business this weekend against the Cubs. We'll talk to you on Monday. I've never heard anything about
been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.